0: It's February 8th, 2021. This is Rook. She is a brilliant Iranian-British singer and songwriter who has a voice of gold and made waves with the band Archive. But recently Roya Arab has set her sights on Iranian history and archaeology and discovering our collective roots. The always charming Roya Arab joins us from London for a feature chat. Plus Mona from Melbourne will be on the line from Australia with the Persian proverb of the week. And we've got your letters. But first, forming a diaspora arts connection through tireless work and progressive organizing. Kaviani joins me from San Francisco on her journey to community building. This is conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rokh. Hi there, welcome to episode number 83. 83 of Rook coming to you from Toronto, thinking of you across the universe. Hope you're keeping well wherever you are, tuning in from around the world. Salam Dustana Aziz, Dudud Barshomah, Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. How are you, Captain? I'm well. Roya Arab coming up. Roya Arab. You know, if anyone doesn't know Roya, the, I'm, I use the, the adjective brilliant there in the bills. I, I think she's brilliant. Super talented singer, songwriter, musician, also now an archeologist. I think she's kind of an explorer. I'm gonna put that to her in the interview. I think this woman is an explorer. She's just exploring the world for for our better bettering. Uh, someone who works in preserving Iranian history through essays, documentaries. She's in London. Uh, you're really going to want to stick around for our conversation with Roya. I think people will, People should stay. Stay where you are. Roya Arab coming up uh, in about an hour, right, Captain Reza?
1: Yes, that's right. And um, to be honest, I thought when you said archaeologist and musician, I'm like, this is the definition of a Persian person. <laughs> right. Mastering her academia and not then good
0: enough to be a great. Uh, a uh, singer and songwriter right. and musician, but uh, right. also an archaeologist. Right. Mm-hmm. Hello, Groovy Shia. Hi. You're an archaeologist of your own sort, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. true. I don't know what that means, but you are. The fabulous Keon. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Gian. Keon, we're on an ongoing mission.
2: Yes, I believe to we build, are.
0: To build a new <laughs> audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. What is our identity? if we're of Iranian descent, but we don't live in Iran and uh, we don't always fit in in the West and we're somewhere in the middle, so we're trying to figure that out. The connective tissue of Iranians around the world coming to you on SoundCloud, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, CastBox, Telegram. Uh, Kian, you know, as of last Thursday, we launched our Patron Circle page.
2: Yes, we sure did. So
0: if you like our content, we're asking you to support Rook Uh, keep our content as ad-free as possible, Mm. right? We have a few patrons already, Shia and Reza. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, you lied, Captain Reza, because uh, Shia, uh, I was oh. going through the list of patrons so far. Remember, Shia was like, I have already committed to. Oh. No, it's like <laughs> five bucks a month, but still, you know.
3: It's something. Uh,
0: but yeah, it's something. It's a building block. But then Captain Reza was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm also, you know, he you was see? like, the audacity. he was like, uh, no. I've also subscribed as, an, as a patron. And I, I went through the list. There's no Captain <laughs> Reza. I didn't put my name there. You, what, you used another name. I
1: used an alias. Oh, wow. all right. But there are a bunch
0: of names I don't recognize. So
2: <laughs> I guess
0: that I, I thought, oh, great, fans from around the world. Apparently, they're all Captain you know Reza. What?
2: But at least he's helped us avoid having to promote a bunch of real estate agents. So That's thank you, true. Reza. And I was yeah. trying to
1: boost morale and be as grounded as humanly possible. By not, not that using we don't animals.
0: love real estate agents. Well, of if you you're don't. a real estate agent, we love you. Please become a patron. <laughs> Listen, right. we we have so we've got a few patrons already. So so for ten dollars you can become a BFF, and uh, it goes up the list, you know, like that. Uh, the 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 legendary status is two hundred fifty dollars a month. We we already have a, a rock star. Really, we have fifty dollars a month. Oh. You get rock star status with us. So thank you to a guy named uh, Sasan Imam. Oh. Sasan Imam, who signed up at the rock star level, very grateful. Yes. To Sasan. that's very very cool. Rookmedia.com, Rookmedia.com is where to you go there. You you press on the support us page, and uh, you know if for example you're a doctor. You can... Uh, Keon, do you, do you know any...
3: You must, <laughs> every you bring, you must <laughs> you bring
2: this up every episode. Every
0: episode <laughs> the like, poor guy. You know He's what? such a nice guy. He is too. a great guy. But I don't think I saw his name on the Patreon This is becoming... It's like McCarthyism. I checked the list. Yeah. Who's on the list? Well, Who's,
2: Valentine's Day is coming up uh, and what better way than, than to, to
0: subscribe for $10 a month to look for you. Uh, if he,
2: right. $10... Listen, if be. he cares.
0: Let me say... Let, let me address the children out there. <laughs> if your parents don't subscribe... Uh, Don't become patrons for Rook at at least $100 a month. They don't love you. That's the reality. (laughs) It's been proven. They don't uh, love you. It's a fact.
2: (laughs) I've looked into it. The research, the numbers are there.
0: (sighs) Hey, COVID is fine, but please, yes, go to our patrons page, we love it. We love the fact that there are folks supporting us. It is a way for us to keep alive and to keep doing this without too many advertisements, which is what we're trying to avoid. So we started the uh, our patrons campaign last Thursday. So indulge us for taking the time to ask you for it. And, and please, uh, by all means, if you can help us out, that's the page. Um, COVID is finally ebbing. I'm getting, uh, isn't it? I is mean, I'm though? getting a little- I missed uh,
2: it, is ebbing? Ebbing. What does that mean? It
0: means it's going down.
2: Oh, yeah, it's, Mike. it's receding. Listen, not all of us have a sister that majored in <laughs> linguistics. <laughs> yeah. but
3: I yes, happen to yes, have a good is. vocabulary,
0: <laughs> <laughs> separate from my sibling, but uh, but yeah, right? It's going like it I'm is, thinking we might be God. going back to the gym at some Let's point. Let's hope so. Now, um, I learned something. Okay, Shia, I learned something uh, at the weekend. So uh, I want you to say so. You know, if we hang out and 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 I'm coughing or something, you may say to me. Xianzhan, uh, I'm worried you're giving me COVID. Right? Uh-huh, so, yes. so, 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 say that to
4: me. Xianzhan, I'm sorry you you will give me COVID. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, okay, that still works. <laughs> Can you
1: say? Very definitive.
4: <laughs> Is he having an audition?
0: <laughs> yeah. See, I say say I I'm worried you're giving me COVID. Yeah, yeah.
4: Jianzhan, I'm sorry you're giving me COVID.
0: Ha'chi Resad nikust.
4: How's that? Interesting. Pretty good, yeah, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. I bet you you don't know what that I is. I have right? no clue. Ha'chi <laughs> <laughs> asdu. First of all, it's ha'chi <laughs> because I'm being real poetic, <laughs> apparently, <Okay>. instead of ha'chi. Ha'chi resad nikust.
2: Uh, the only word I know is do <laughs> 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 well,
0: Yeah, I wasn't totally <laughs> clear either. <laughs> the kind of blew me away. Okay. So Shai, do you want to explain what um, I was going to say?
4: Whatever came from my friend is precious. Oh. Oh. Whatever is received so from a is friend. Meaning
2: give me COVID, it's like giving me gold? <laughs>
4: I think it's a way of, of
0: saying, uh, yeah, I, yeah. It's, a, it's a way of offsetting someone who's uh, <laughs> like
2: saying no catatams times? very yeah. <laughs> <Pretty> much Kaida has <laughs> just <Kata>.
0: has <laughs> just <laughs> stressed covid, huh?
1: That's See, okay. I but
0: I'm, Where did I'm this fully from? I, listen, I have my sources.
2: <laughs> I got, I'm f-
0: got a, i got a pipeline of people feeding me this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it's not just
2: one person? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, i never pipeline heard of one person. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you guys watch the Super Bowl by the way?
2: It was so boring. What? I was just like, huh. there was just, there's always so much hype around it. And I watch it with my brothers, but my God, it was just so anticlimactic. <laughs>
0: well, uh, uh, climactic.
2: Climactic. Pardon me. That's like climatic
0: would mean there's no climate.
2: Oh,
0: ebbing. Well. But uh, climactic.
1: <laughs> what else are you missing? It's <laughs>
2: embarrassing. All of us. It
0: started as teaching Farsi. Now it's turned no, into
3: like no. just language
0: in general. Yeah. Uh, sorry, different. I'm being a stickler. Yes. I, I don't mean to be so pedantic. Add that to your list. But it's uh, <laughs> just a jerk. Caring about. Sorry. It, yes, it, some people thought it was anticlimactic, mm. but I mean, uh, I guess because was, but there's also an interesting story the the you know the the subtext of the two guys and their ages and That's the quarterbacks true. and but there's a very important iranian connection Oh. At this year's Super Bowl, oh. did you shy? Did you want? You didn't watch the Super Bowl. Right? No. Have you ever watched what they call American football?
4: I, I no, I knew, I knew. Like, that.
0: can you? Would you understand the rules? if you watched it? Uh,
4: no, not not yeah. clearly, No, no. Even I, I, I'm the fan of you know the performance in the middle of Super mm. Bowl because uh-huh. usually it's really huge and big and yeah, and over yeah. the top and yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. The um, you know, growing up in Canada, I, I didn't really. Become a, there are obviously there's Canadian football there's football leagues here in the, the CFL and a lot of people watch the NFL but I I was more of a hockey guy hockey wow. and soccer that kind of football um, but you know you tune in for the Super Bowl as you say for the the specter of any anyway that there's an important Iranian connection now, do you know anybody know what it is no clue. I mean, I have to be careful because, especially hosting this show, because i i don't want to turn into one of those uh, those Persian promoters that just picks out anything I can find <laughs> to claim that the Super Bowl is. Maybe de the straw that Tom Brady was <laughs> drinking with, I love it. It is from Manucher Tehrani's company. It's Wait, do we create
2: football? The Persian. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I have no idea. No, there there's actually something to be proud of, which is uh, a woman named Maral Jav- Javadifar. Javadifah Javadi Javadi yeah. an Iranian American football coach mm-hmm. became the first female assistant coach ever to win a Super Bowl along with her colleague uh, Lori Locus so Maral is she was with the Tampa Bay about Buccaneers Tom Brady's team she no. she's no she's way. a coach. Yeah,
2: I had no idea.
0: I see. I've known about her just because somebody pointed only in the last few weeks, unfortunately. Because as Tampa Bay was mm-hmm. getting towards the Super Bowl, somebody pointed uh, you know pointed her out, and and uh, uh, she's a former college basketball player at Pace University with a doctorate in physical therapy. Of course, Naturally. the Iranians uh, <laughs> was hired as the Bucks assistant uh, strength and conditioning coach and physical therapist. She's thirty years old uh so and she's now Crazy. she's got a super bowl ring wow. how do you like that Crazy. That's and insane. and i mean there have been no female assistant coach in general let alone an iranian female so she's a real uh, pioneer and a, and it's amazing it's a great story i'd love to get her on the show we don't have any direct if anybody's listening from florida or knows morale by all means uh if not i'm sure we'll find a way to contact her and uh, wow, uh but she'd be a great guest on the show I, i'm always worried like i've discovered now that um Big ne- some big Persian networks have people who are listening to Rook, mm. you know. So I, I, know. I think they get some ideas from us and like. Uh, so yeah. so some big network will sweep <laughs> in and get morale on their show, and I'm stuck. I can <laughs> to Captain Reza huh? <laughs> <laughs> about Lubia Polo again, you know.
1: Well, we can get the. Uh, the <laughs>
0: more conversations with Captain <laughs> Reza. Polo. Riveting conversations. You're with.
2: from <laughs> <and
1: It's about> <laughs> the, <laughs> another <laughs> conversation about Lubio Polo in these books that I the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of God, this will be my last wow. uh, wow. <laughs> uh, wow. uh, room. Nikus. You there
0: can't even go. say it right.
2: <laughs>
0: I can't. No, I just li- I want to know. I barely <laughs> understand it myself, uh, but I'm enjoying it. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> 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 uh, so anyway, Maral Javodifar. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, good. Congrats, moral We're proud of you. And... It's such a cool feat and, and something to be excited about uh, in our diaspora. And, yeah, let's hope to get her on the show. All right. Fabulous on Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, Roya Adab coming up. Stick around for her. Mona from Melbourne with the Persian proverb of the week. And we have uh, letters with your letters of the week uh, coming up. But first... Uh, Our first guest today is the founder and executive director of Diaspora Arts Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting artists in the Iranian diaspora and beyond. She is the woman responsible for getting a lot of artists from the diaspora onto stages in California and then across America. Nazi Kaviani was born in Iran. She left Iran for the San Francisco Bay Area in 1978 to pursue a college education in business and marketing, returned to Iran for a few years in the 90s and early 2000s and has once again made the Bay Area her home since 2006. Before pursuing her passions of human rights and arts activism, Nazi worked as a management executive and software project manager in private and public sectors on three continents. Nazi has been a tireless organizer and progressive cultural leader in California for years, including creating the Let Her Sing concert series. As many of you listening might know, after the 1979 Iranian Revolution and the establishment of theocratic rule, women were thereafter prohibited from singing in public in front of men. In response, Nazi has launched Let Her Sing, which is a yearly concert dedicated to fostering support and raising awareness for the female voice, banned and suppressed in parts of the world, including Iran, even today. Nazi is currently curating, producing, and sponsoring cultural and artistic events, which have helped hundreds of immigrant and diaspora artists to be seen and heard. And right now, Nazi Kaviani joins us from San Francisco, California. Hello. Hello
5: hello
0: salam salam what a pleasure it is to talk to my old friend thank you for coming on this program and thank you for all the work you do i'll say this at the beginning and the end of the interview you are so essential to uh, our our broader community and i thank you for it
5: you are so kind and (laughs) I, I heard that uh, biography and I was like, is that me? Are they talking about me? <laughs> thank <laughs> you so much. Thank you for that and thank you for the chance to chat with you uh, and catch up with you again. It's lovely. Thank you.
0: Nazi, tell, tell, tell us about Let Her Sing. Where where did the idea first come from?
5: Um, so, you know, um, I produce shows um, in the Bay Area um, and uh, some of the artists, many most of the artists actually i should say are diaspora or immigrant artists and the distinction between the two is uh for me is diaspora are people who are like second generation born here and immigrants are like the ones um that just came and first first generation first time in the us and right. uh, working here um so I pr- promote artists anyway, I used to do this, I, you know, I suffered so much for the fact that Iranian women couldn't sing in public. And and I know I've like had discussions with artists, musicians, uh, great composers uh, who were always complaining about the fact that they could never write music that I- Iranian female singers could perform in Iran. And this is like a long story from a long time ago. and. I suffered for that, and it was always in the back of my mind. And one time I was just thinking, Gee, wouldn't it be cool if we could get um, women together to sing together? And, and the idea was changed um, shape in the different ways I wanted to do it. And it settled finally on the format that I'm talking about right now, um, and the way we have been doing it now for four years, where we would get 10 women to come on stage or you know this year it was just seven because of the pandemic but in the previous years it was 10 women who would come on the stage and each sing in their own genre and their own music and then eventually also at the end they would pay tribute to a a woman who couldn't who was like suppressed and couldn't sing for whatever reason yeah um, by the because, way um, by the way
0: when you say that this is a, a situation from a long time ago it's not that long ago in fact you know for some of us who have grown up in the diaspora and we know that there's theocratic rule in iran and we know there's suppression etc but sometimes find ourselves in the position of actually defending um you know, you know, Iran from sort of these stereotypes of, oh, you come from some backward barbaric place. It's still a surprise when we find out some, some of what still goes on there. Like I was asking members of the Rook team who've come from Iran more recently, like, is it still the case that women in Iran can't even record albums like solo album? Yep. You can't do that. You know, it it is just remarkable. It is so remarkable. And is this the case? Is there other countries that are similar to this, or is this unique to Iran?
5: Well, you know, in, um, in Saudi Arabia, w- women uh, can't sing. I guess they're making some kind of noise now about well, how they want to let women sing and all of that. But uh, they can't sing, period. Uh, in countries like Afghanistan or uh, Kurdistan, uh, or, or, you know, uh, the Kurdish people of different, like Iraq and, and Turkey, This is what they say. The families have an issue with women singing. They don't like it. It's like legally they can sing and they can record. But uh, families don't regard this as an honorable thing for their daughters to do. So these women always have a hard time fighting with um, families to sing. Um, We had one Afghan singer, um, uh, Ustad Mahbash, who... Is referred to as uh, the voice of Afghanistan, and you know many many Iranians remember her from my generation. Remember her because during the uh, pre-revolution time, she used to actually perform on Iranian TV. We're talking about you know decades ago when she decided to sing, um, and she was already married, and her husband had allowed her to sing. A family member. Um, tried to, you know, poison her, Try to okay. damage her vocal cords so she couldn't sing. It put her in a coma. She was, uh, you know, she was pregnant. It's just um, terrible stories of or, or, or women who were disowned by their families uh, right. because they sang. Um, so, um, it, it's, it's different. It takes different shapes. It's, some of it is social, some of it is, you know, l- legal. Uh, but yeah women are, are suppressed from singing. I
0: think about the, the thousands or you know hundreds of thousands I don't know the, uh, of potentially um, incredible artists in Iran right now listening to us even i mean this this program uh, our number one city in terms of our, the listenership for this program is tehran who are sitting there and, and and who are literally silenced cannot uh unless they leave the country cannot record or or front a band or uh, i know that that women can perform as singers in front of other women but um can't record i presumably because men might hear the record or something i mean the whole thing i, I can't even get my head around it but when you launched let her sing what what was the reaction of the community uh,
5: so you know I, most of the work that i do like the nucleus of my work has been to build a community to build a community around music and arts so of course my community really supported me uh, and they uh, they understood sort of because the idea was um uh, just an idea right i had to like sell it i had to explain it i hadn't done it myself either the very first year um, I had a lineup which was impressive and people really couldn't figure out how this thing would work where all these people from different genres of music how would they perform on the stage I, the first year it was hard to explain it but once they saw it because like anything else if you have a proof of concept if you do it once and people see it they rally around it and they support it and they give money um, to it, to, to to build it and to produce it. My, my community supports me. All the artists who come through San Francisco Bay Area, at some point they say, you know, this is so lovely, we wish we could stay here. It's because the community is so kind and they come and they're very supportive, they buy tickets.
0: When you talk about building a community around culture and arts, uh, yeah. This is uh, this is where I want to go a little deeper with you because uh, you seem to have adopted a philosophy that change can come within the Iranian community or even in Iran maybe through our cultural similarities, through our arts rather than necessarily politics and ideology. Tell, tell me how you came to that way of thinking, if I've got you right, if you do believe yes. that.
5: Yeah, I, actually, you know, uh, because I've I've been in the U.S. for so long. I've like watched our uh, diaspora community through decades of change. Um, the sort of the, the idyllic days of being students and not, not really ha- literally having a care in the world to experiencing the revolution that was happening in, in our country. And then all the years afterwards where there was confusion and there was sadness and there was anger. And there was a lot of um, idealism uh, about what's good for Iran and and ha- what's going to happen in Iran. So this all was like political uh, differences, which, which led people into very emotional and hostile sometimes um, interactions over the issue of politics. This lasted for a long time. And the effects of it is today, if you look at the Iranian diaspora community, they don't <laughs> there is no um, common denominator in politics. Right. Politics are different for everybody. They fight over it. Uh, it, it you talk about the Iranian history. You want to talk about history? Some people are like, um, oh, the side is silent there, and they just go on and on about what's written on it and how this was whatever. And and then there are people who uh, you know, vociferously... Um, Disagree and take issue with that. You talk about Mossadegh. You talk about you know. you t- Just talk about anything. You know. Why? History. Why is it's it so? All-
0: sorry to cut you off, but why is it so hostile? Why do we disagree when you, politics, history, even the flag? Which which flag is the right flag? It's not. No, re- no. It's not really a conversation. It's really a. a <laughs> as you say, you use the word hostile, sort of debate. It's, why is it like
5: emotional. that? It's very it's emotional. It's very emotional. Yeah and it also comes from a very long time of having you know dictatorships and and not having freedom to express yourself i mean you, you read read hafiz you see what Hafez is is uh, so so many different things in his poetry where he's trying to say Um, He's trying to make a statement, but he's so careful about the censorship that is is imposed on him. Mm. Uh, This is not new. It's like for years, Iranians have been suppressed. And so this is why in our language uh, we have, um, we use a lot of proverbs. We use a lot of poetry, like, you know, you get upset with somebody uh, because they're making a dumb decision in their life. Uh, instead of like telling him, I think that's a very dumb decision you're making, you just kind of sigh and say, I'm like, at the peace, <laughs> like uh, every king knows how to run his kingdom. So uh, it, it, we we live in this innuendos and, you know, uh, not not directly talking about it. So, uh, but, but when the revolution happened and this hostility, I think it comes from everybody wanting the very best for Iran and everybody wanting Iran to come out of, you know, dark times and get better, but, you know, they have different opinions about how this should be accomplished. But I just wanted to say that this kind of hostility was a lot more prominent in in, like the years following the revolution. It kind of mellowed out. People just, the students got like all their businessmen and women and, and they had their own families and all of that and then uh, and then also the realization that okay um it's not going to be a, we're not going to be able to change it like this it's it has to be done right, right. some other way
0: i mean it didn't mellow out in the last us election we just went through
5: uh, <laughs> yeah. you know
0: when you say there's no yeah. common denominator do you Aspire to culture and arts being that common denominator
5: Yeah, I was just saying that if we can't agree on our history and if we can't agree on our politics and the future of Iran and even the present of Iran and 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 the flag and all of that There's one thing that I have I have observed and this is why I just love this work because it brings Iranians together It brings them together around arts and culture I think, like I see the best of Iranians. Um, I see them beautiful when they come. Um, they're smiling. They are kind. They are like catching up with their friends, hugging each other, just a, like a bundle of love. Um, hmm. And I, I'm very proud of that. And and I'm at. Do they arrive an hour late? <laughs> no, <laughs> not anymore. This is the other thing. I can, I can just tell you that. Uh, the changes that have happened among our community. I, I can observe it over the past 10 years to 15 years. Um, our followers show up on time, and but enough time to park and Often. all of that. You're, you're so, training uh,
0: them. You're helping.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they have. They, we live in a country that most other things start. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Although I have to explain to
0: the non-Iranians listening that Persian time is something to really get used to. Uh, it, it is a it is a delicate confection. Let me ask you about your trajectory, because since you're dipping into talking about the diaspora, you are so well positioned as somebody who's been organizing who's been involved in the diaspora and has really seen it through these crucial years um, uh, as it's grown, especially in a place like America and California now being one of the the hubs of the Iranian diaspora. Take us back. So you first come to the West in 1978. This is actually before the revolution. What yes. was it like being an Iranian student in San Francisco in those first years, and especially when the revolution and the, the hostage crisis happened?
5: Yeah, it, it was a very um, turbulent time. You have to remember; I mean, it's it's hard for everybody to imagine the world without the internet and without the free access to your uh, family members' likeness and their voice on through through technology. Uh, we were here when uh, making a phone call to Iran could cost as much as fifty dollars on a on a student's um, very meager. Um, allowance. Yes. Uh, you couldn't afford luxuries. like You could call your parents maybe once or twice a month if you know you were lucky. And then th- the news also was a little different because we couldn't really get a lot of news out of Iran. So it was just a hard time. You didn't really know what was going on. I mean, even Iranians inside Iran, I think, were kind of shocked with the effects of the revolution. But we were particularly isolated and worried and and then, of course, you know, many people had family members who were related to the government, so they went through um, trials and few of them, like, their family members were executed. It was just tough to be in this space where everybody was, you know, I, you know, there's a song by Haydeh, um, So it says adieu to uh, my land and to my people. and. So, they tried to um, portray how uh, the Iranian diaspora felt at the time. And by the way,
0: I I mean, I I was a little kid, but it was, uh, and we didn't have much of a community, Iranian community in Canada or even in Toronto. But it would have been very hard at that time since everybody was um, so scared to even talk about being Iranian since we were the enemy. Uh, uh, You know, uh, it would have been hard to organize any kind of community at that point right in the in the there, same was,
5: there was it was just pure um family type you know like classmates uh, before the people had families because in my in the bay area we we were students, so those families were built later on. In the beginning, it was right. just a bunch of like young people who, were, uh, who had each other, and that was all they had, basically.
0: Let me ask you about organizing in the Iranian community outside of Iran in, in the diaspora. Just from doing this show over the last year, you know, there are many artists who will come on this program and say, look, we don't, we don't get the support from the community. that, And they'll pay lip service to it. They'll sort of pat you on yeah. the head and say, oh, that's great. You know, good job. I like the production you've done yeah. of the Shah Nomad. But when it actually comes to supporting, there yeah. still isn't the kind of cultural currency or the, the, um, in, in our culture uh, for artists that there would be for engineers or, or doctors or people working even in the tech sector or something like that. How do you see that?
5: Um, actually, that's a very good point. I, like I said, you know, we are learning and growing as a community in, in multiple um, fronts. Um, it isn't just that we are be- becoming more punctual and showing up, uh, or uh, or appreciating uh, different kinds of art. It is also that we are learning how to support um, our artists. But it's a it's a the, it's a long arc and. Um, I just want to say like to an Iranian audience member, say somebody, some young couple who live in Silicon Valley, they know how much it costs to, to go see uh, Pink Martini. They know how much it costs to go see Roger Waters. Yes. They spend $200, $250. By the time it's all said and done, and you know, the dinner and all of that, they, they spent a lot of money trying to see of, you know world-class musicians right uh, in our community we have a really hard time playing with the ticket prices i you know it's they wouldn't pay above fifty dollars <laughs> if, right. if they have to pay about fifty dollars it has to be a very good reason for it right. they have to get something extra you know and so uh, i think they need to learn that also the same thing with uh, not supporting an, uh, a non-profit arts organization it's, I- Iranians are generous. Like, you know, if you ever have an event at a venue where people should be buying drinks or something, oh my God, you know, they they make the minimum requirement, like within an hour, they they spend their money uh, eating and <laughs> right. uh, drinking and all of that. Right. Uh, but, We'll um, spend the
0: we'll spend the money on хорак. I, I know that part. That's not no one's ever uh, questioning that. Although there'll be some complaints too if the kebab is too expensive. Baba Johnny, man, the kebab be down the street was only five dollars. Why am I paying twenty here? You know, but uh, but <laughs> food's in a different food and alcohol are in a different category.
5: Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, and and again, you know, also like you would see like these fundraising drives for you know children with cancer or uh, building schools and all of that. Iranians pay thousands, Absolutely. hundreds of thousands Absolutely. of dollars yes. every yes. year to these kinds of charities. It's been very difficult for me to to convince people that a non-profit arts organization registered as a charity is actually a charity. That if you help us, we can help artists. Yes. And what artists can bring to you is the wonderful flavor and the wonderful um, feeling of belonging. Because, okay, the other thing I wanted to say is that um, it's so unfortunate. We have lots of Persian language classes over the weekend for our children. The level at which these children are learning how to read and write Persian, if they go, if the parents set, take them and if the kids stay in it with it, it the level is very low. It's not, uh, you know, they can maybe sign their names or, you know, some, some basic things, but they can't read Molana with that. They can't read Hafiz with that. Mm-hmm. They can't, and, and this is kind of in a way, is like the death of a, a, a portion of our literature and our, our performing arts that in, in diaspora, which we could never present, like uh, Persian language theater. Is something that you need to know the language very well in order to be a customer for right, that, right. you know. And so it's just like older generations listening to that. And I don't see any younger people uh, joining that unless they are like new immigrants. But, but uh, I see
0: it I, another way too, not just to, uh, the Farsi language plays, but if there's the proper support from uh, from the diaspora, from the from the uh, global Persian community for uh, Iranian um, artists, Iranian culture, Iranian musicians, Iranian uh, visual artists, etc., uh, there is the springboard for those artists who can be really talented, can be yeah. who are world class to appeal to a broader community as well, because the art can translate. I mean, you don't have to. Uh, be an Iranian singer that only appeals to Iranians, um, yeah. but but it, the, but there needs to be support so that they don't have to go and work you know during the day at the pizza parlor um, uh, you know in order to do three concerts a year because they don't get yeah. enough support you know so so th- that's part of it for me is is how to bring the the culture and the artists who are now you know in big numbers I mean a big part of the nine million people or how many it is exactly now outside of Iran who make up the Persian diaspora how mm-hmm. to support those folks so that they yes. can be catapulted to the next level because clearly they're not being supported by Iran a country of you know 80 90 million people and the you know exporting of, of, of musicians is is you know one 100th one of what comes out of Canada say you know uh, but but um, we in the diaspora can make that difference
5: yes if we want some of these things to be pre- Preserved, we need to support our, our, our arts and culture. If you really like care about um, the language, you know, organizations that help with that need to be strengthened so that the younger generation also preserves the language. If if that's what you know is important, I think it's like music doesn't really need any words. You don't need to s- speak any language in order to enjoy music. But there are some uh, for art forms that need to be preserved and right. and defended. Um, And I I agree with you. Uh, I I think um, we need to support the arts because the arts are good for our soul. Uh, If it weren't for the arts, um, the past four years would have been really difficult to, to withstand, I think, to watch um you know, the policies and all of that was a very hard time uh, for, for the Iranian community here. You're,
0: you're, you're perhaps inadvertently uh, leading into my final question or one of my final questions for you, which is that, you know, um, I mean, I should explain to people who don't necessarily know what a difficult undertaking it is to do the kind of organizing that you do that you don't get rich doing this. In fact, you're you're pretty much a volunteer, I'm assuming, in in all of this work that you've done culturally. Uh, And that's why we owe you a a debt of gratitude. But it also begs the question, I mean, why are you so passionate about culture and uh, our culture and the diaspora? Thank God that you are, but what drives you?
5: Well, I'm very passionate about artists because I think all artists need help, all all the artists who start their journey into expressing themselves and showing their work need help. Um, immigrant artists, diaspora artists needed more. They needed more because they don't have any relatives or any um, any of the infrastructure that a, a native-born might, might have. Right. And so when they come to me, they, they want to have... I mean, you know, like in our culture, it's like... Um, uh, I'll say it in Farsi and then I'll translate it. Oh, uh, I'm get the like you know, you go to a family gathering or something. Everybody expects you to perform, uh-huh. and and then and then that's it. You know, uh, like but this artist needs help. They need help to establish themselves. They need help to be recognized on the internet. They need assets. They need um, photographs. They need videos. They need um, recorded music. And all of those things cost money. They cost so much money that most artists just, you know, throw up their hands. They can't do it. Like you tell them, well, you know, where would you like to perform? I take these artists to the best theaters in in the San Francisco Bay Area because that is an asset for them. When they later say, I performed at Yoshi's or I performed at... Uh, uh, you know, Palace of Fine Arts or whatever, depending on, you know, what the event was and how many people we could attract. And that's good for them. If we sell out shows for them, that's, a, that's an asset for an artist. When people search them, they say, oh, they sold out in San Francisco, they can get other bookings. Most diaspora artists, like the Iranian artists, I know for sure, most of them don't have any representation. They don't have agents, they don't have managers, they don't have anybody to negotiate um, their, their fees and their conditions for performing, and it's all up left to the organizer to treat them with respect. We do that. We think that's important for that artist to learn how it could be, right? and also at the same time really appreciate them for the contribution they're making because they really, some of them, like they can't pay their rent. They can't like feed themselves. It's just really, if they only want to do their, their art, many of them work during the day. It, it would be nice to one day have the opportunity to make artists be professional artists, get paid properly, get yeah. appreciated properly. And that's our that's our goal. Why I do it? I think I started doing it for the community that needed that. You know, I started with just pulling people together for you know to read poetry, um, and and then later I did some small. You know, somebody played the tar, and somebody had a sweet voice, and we would gather and uh, you know rally around this little thing we pulled together for our community. And then those things just got bigger and bigger, and then artists found me and they started asking for help. So. Uh, I, the more i do it the more i want to do it because there's so much need uh, and it, it helps that we are non-profit because we don't really take hardly take anything from the shows that we do even when they do very well um, and we subsidize uh, some shows too um, in fact we, we subsidize quite a bit because You know, we need to pay and we need to be fair. We can't just say, oh, we we didn't make any money, so uh, you're not going to get anything. That's not You better
0: be careful. After this interview, you're going to get a lot of uh, calls and emails
3: from
5: artists saying, all
0: right, I'm ready to play that nice venue in San Francisco. Let's go. Uh, I know. I so appreciate what you do. I so thank you for for that and for this conversation. Before I let you go, your chance to do a little shout-out.
5: Thank you for what you do. Uh,
0: Thank you. Is is there something that you want to uh, tell us about that's coming up this year or some particular artist that you want to give a shout out to before we let you go?
5: I just want everybody to remember uh, that arts keep us going and, and they are food for our soul. And if you can help an artist and that help, the most important help you can give once everything is back to normal, is to please um, buy tickets and go to yeah. shows and, and spo- you know really sponsor people by showing up because a lot of people are watching the door waiting for you to come. And I always, when our shows start, I always thank people for coming and, and for, for becoming our most important contributor because if everything is ready, if you have a big party, it's a big, big, big beautiful party, you have beautiful food, you have beautiful music and you put on your best clothes, if there's no guests, if nobody comes, hmm. what kind of party is it? Right. And um, so, I, and and just pay attention, please. Uh, during this pan- pandemic times, uh, pay attention because uh, there's like no income for artists, nothing. So, if you can help help diaspora artists, if you can.
0: Well said. Merci. Merci, Always Asha. a pleasure to talk to you. I can't thank wait you. to you. see you again in San Francisco or for you to yeah, come, yeah, up,
5: come, back. come up and okay, visit us in
0: Canada. Uh, I can't and wait
5: for my vaccine to start getting around and hugging people. Oh,
0: I know. Uh, thank you for this, and we'll talk soon.
5: All right. Thank you. Office.
0: Nazi Kaviani, the founder and executive director of Diaspora Arts Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping artists in the diaspora take to stages in California and beyond. Nazi joined us from San Francisco, California today. Things Rook at rookmedia.com. We're coming to you on SoundCloud, Telegram, Castbox, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram. Roya Arab joining me in uh, just a little bit. Stick around for her. Microphones are back on with uh, Groovy Shia, Captain Reza, the fabulous Keon. Man, Nasi Kaviani, I am. Uh, what, a, what an amazing person she is. You know, I, I said it during the interview, I just want to reiterate people who do what she's doing uh it's 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 volunteer work that you never quite get the recognition for she has to take a lot of shit probably from people who you know want to be on the show and didn't get it you know invited or whatever the thing is and she's just tirelessly doing this for the sake of the community good on her i hope um she she I hope she gets the recognition on a regular basis that she deserves. Shaya, you know her as well as I do, right?
4: Yes, yes. Actually, Nazi helped us, I mean, Dank Show for the United States tour. And I remember, actually, I stayed in her place for four days Huh? and yeah that was a very lovely period and mm. she was kind she was I real mean for cool. that
0: alone she should win the presidential medal
4: <laughs> letting Shia enter her house for four days <laughs> so um, like, yeah. I mean, but uh, really she's lovely and yeah. she is you know p- very supportive we are all uh, Push them How can I say mm, it? Our In asses English? are warm. <laughs> no, sorry. What? <laughs> uh, our, our backs are yes, warm.
0: What is it? Push uh, them again. So
4: yeah, I mean. She got her back. she uh, she yeah. got her back, yeah, yeah. 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 Keelan?
2: She's doing such incredible work mm-hmm. for the Iranian community. I mean, I bow down to her. And she's doing, for, it, as a volunteer, she's doing this. Yes, well, they're,
0: they're, she's not paid to, to do all this I, stuff, no. I figured so, she's yeah,
2: not. Yeah. And I mean, artists need our support. If anything, they're the ones that give us life through this pandemic, mm-hmm. through everything. And and uh, the work she's doing with uh, Iranian women mm-hmm. singing. I mean, I, I remember a story that my aunt told me. This is before the revolution. She she had a beautiful voice, and she. There was some kind of TV show at the time. Um, I believe it was one that Gugush. I might be wrong. There was one that Gugush was on, or something. So anyway, they asked her to be my aunt. They asked her to be a part of this show, and her mo- her mother, my grandma, was absolutely not like you want people the the neighbors to talk about us. It's it apparently it was just something that was forbidden. It was mm-hmm. looked down upon. So, what nazi's doing is. Beautiful and work,
0: uh, but it wasn't actually forbidden. Which is, it, which it, bec- it it became after um, the revolution. It was so, just ta- yeah.
2: it was just uh, seen as in- inappropriate mm. for. Iranian so well, that's
0: the so there's the, um there's the actual censorship that happens under I- Iranian theocratic mm-hmm. rule or whatever you want to yeah. call what's happening in Iran, and then there's the cultural censorship that uh, yeah. on top of that you know it's not the appropriate profession etc. And, um, yeah, it's a, what Nazis fostering is really important. Captain Reza, you want to say a word before we get to Mona?
1: I actually do, because when she was talking about calling Iran back then in the 80s, right, and then it costing her $50 every time she had to, like, make a phone call, I was like, wow, what a what an amazing era we're living in where we can FaceTime our family members anytime we want. And Toronto, essentially, like Toronto that we live in right now is saturated by the Iranian community and the diaspora is constantly expanding and growing and it wasn't like that back then when she was a student in the United States or uh, trying to forge a community just hanging out with friends. I have a, I'm a very
0: a,
3: grateful.
0: I, I, wanted to, I don't want to take too much time but I have a story about that that you'll, you might find really interesting. In the 1980s my dad had a reason I can't remember I feel bad for not remembering it if it was because my um uncle or my grandmother died, but they, but he had a reason he had needed to go back to Iran. And of course, the 1980s was a very difficult time to be traveling back and forth to Iran. And it was extremely difficult and expensive to do phone calls, but we wanted to know that he was okay. So we had this timed thing where every night at 6 p.m. our time, I mean, I was a kid, but I remember my mom doing this. We would call him and let it ring three times and hang up and he would call us and let it ring three times and hang up so that we would, wow. which means he's okay, so that we wouldn't have to phone every day and, wow. and because the, it would, call, I mean, it'd be, you know, it was literally just to get through to someone was $50, right? Yeah. So you, you had to kind of, but so we did this thing, we would That's wait for the three rings and go, okay, dad's okay and yeah. Uh, that's wow. crazy. crazy. Huh? Yeah. It's oh, like the Morse wow. code. The Morse code. Now we've given it away. I know. Can't do that again now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I want to tell my mom now. I want to text her and be like, "Mom, from now on, I'll call me three times. I'll let it ring three times, and then." <laughs> I'm well, make now it's of okay. course
0: you you know you send a WhatsApp emoji emoji. <laughs> oh, and you're, you, you send know, the you're wrong
3: good. emoji. You're that's gonna right, start that's a right. World <laughs> War Three.
0: Like. Uh, listen, it is. I said Roya Arab coming up. But first, let's get to our next segment. It's Monday and she is the person behind the popular English-Farsi Instagram page, but as importantly, she is the Persian priestess of proverbs, the Australian sage of sayings, the wondrous woman of words, and our resident rook wordsmith and she joins us right now from Australia. That's right. It's Mona from Melbourne. <laughs> Go, hello, Mona.
6: Hi, Gian. Hi, team. How are you?
0: Always identified by jazz music, Mona Kiani. Mona <laughs> for some reason, we don't even know if that's what you're into, but we just made that your theme.
6: Well, I find it a compliment. I love, I love jazz music. <laughs> uh,
0: what are you bestowing upon our imaginations today, from all the way down under?
6: Um, this week is a proverb again, and I thought instead of um, saying the proverb first, what we could do is. Um, I'll give you the backstory and then see if, uh, with a bit of help from Shia and Reza, you could get it.
0: (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, tell us what's the backstory.
6: Um, So this story actually originates in India. Um, The proverb is related to um, their sort of background and I thought we could Persianify the story a bit and change the main characters. Um, So the two main characters are called Kumar and Ravi and I thought Kumar could be Bahram (laughs)
5: <laughs> and Ravi,
6: <laughs> I was going to call him Reza, but I was like, no, let's let's mix it up. Um, uh, so Kumar is going to be Bahram, and Ravi is going to be Abbas.
0: All right, mm-hmm. Bahram, and so two Persian Story men. of Bahram and Abbas. <laughs> <laughs> What's the story? So these,
6: these two are actually farmers who are neighbours. So Bahram and Abbas were two farmers who were neighbours, uh, both owned a pair of oxen. Um, and they used those oxen to plow their land. Bahram worked hard all day long in order to get a good yield and look after his oxen very well, since he knew that they were very important for his farming activity. Abbas, however, was very lazy. He never fed his ox properly and extracted the maximum amount of work from them. And kept them complaining that they weren't doing a good job.
0: You could have used the names Shia and Reza. Been, <laughs> and
6: the I
0: personalities was, are.
6: Like, <laughs> who could I pick for which character? I didn't want to offend. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, so ba- we got it. Bahram and Abbas. Uh,
6: one,
0: one is lazy. One is hardworking. Yeah,
6: that's right. Um, and as a true friend, Bahram advised Abbas. And pointed out to him that it was cruel to ill-treat the animals which were helping him make a living but Abbas paid little heed to Kulmar's uh t- sorry to Bahram's words <laughs> he soon brought a tractor to plow his land and chase the oxen away since he no longer needed them taking pity on these poor animals Bahram took them in under his wing and although he could ill afford to maintain them he still managed to take care of them mm. Now in the monsoon season, um, it was time for cultivation. Bahram's land was really well plowed and well taken care of and ready for harvest thanks to his oxen. But Abbas's farm was in a miserly fashion. He hadn't maintained his tractor and it kept giving him trouble. And as a result, he couldn't get his land ready for cultivation on time. Mm. He lamented and blamed all of his luck on not realizing who was responsible for this miserable state.
0: Let that be a lesson you key on.
6: I'm writing notes. Oh, always take care of your
0: oxen.
2: Rely rely on your oxen. One kiosk. must always rely on the oxen.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that the proverb? One must always rely on one's oxen.
6: Oh. Close, close, right, but okay. not quite. <laughs> Our boss was not only lost on a good yield, but his laziness. Um, he also spent money on um, a tractor, which actually wasn't able to maintain. Oh.
3: And so despite
6: drugs. having better equipment Abbas was unable to reap his harvest whereas Bahram who was a good workman and hence was able to succeed with limited resources was able to reap what he sowed yeah. so
0: was Bahram's name Tom Brady because uh, <laughs> he seems quite perfect he's you know the perfect harvest he's got the oxen go ahead yes sorry
6: um, so, based on this story, can you have a, a think about what uh, this proverbs topic or like theme could be?
0: Yeah. He who <laughs> he it's Persian. Who, yeah. In case you're missing
1: Th- that, not taking care of his. Oxen.
2: Well, let, let's come
0: up with the English version okay. it's for you and I at least. Um, uh, These guys will come up with the Farsi. Yeah. Um,
2: um, <laughs> work hard, play harder. I don't know. <laughs> he, he
0: who he who feeds the oxen reaps the... Benefits. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> close, close. The, gl-
2: the grass is greener on the other no. side? Something like that? I yeah, think that was cool. our first segment. Oh.
3: It, no, <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> not the grass is greener. Then. It's
0: not the grass is greener. It's clearly something to do with um, putting in the effort. Mm. Something to do with yes. putting in the
6: that's that right. effort. That's right. But
1: the I don't English know... English might be, you reap what you sow. No. Oh, know. well, that's,
0: that's, that's sort of true. You reap what you sow, but... Um, but it's mo- th- there's more to it than that. There's it more, to, to, more it. to it. The Bahram yeah. and... I guess and we have uh, to
2: incorporate some poetry into this because hmm. that's, that's, um, you know, that's the Persian style. It's
4: probably something related to having a wrong excuse for your disability.
6: Yes, that's right. For <laughs> your disabilities,
0: for, for, <laughs> for, no, for, for your for your uh, know, uh, in, mean, in, inability, you, you know. inability.
6: <laughs> <laughs> so, so the English equivalent. Let me let me all put you out of your misery. Uh, a poor workman blames his tools, and it was originally cited in the 13th century. But there is a Persian equivalent. Um, has anyone heard of that one before? A
0: poor workman blames his tools. i have actually not. I'm. I i do not know this uh, English proverb, but it, but it's a uh, it's spot on with the Bahram and Abbas <laughs> story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that, that Abbas has got me angry. My uh, OCD, uh, my working tendency, my work ethic is uh, extremely angry at Abbas for his laziness. Um, hmm.
4: There is something actually related to Arus, and you know, What does it say? That uh, like Arus Balat zamin kaje. Know that's things. right. Oh, oh that's the one? Oh,
1: oh. oh. Yay. wow. At Arus. What does that have to do with Gov and Mazraela? <laughs> mas- you weren't listening. <laughs> No,
3: I know, but uh, Ab- ar- it turns out
0: Abbas is actually Bahram's bride.
3: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> That's so good. And, and good. The
0: wife will dance badly good. when Bahram oh, sells the oxen. Boy. No, uh, um, so it's let me just translate what you just said. Uh, say it again, Shaya.
4: Arus <laughs> Palatnis the the the, the,
0: the 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 bride is not able to dance
4: because
0: she says the the, the floor is <laughs> crooked. is crooked. crooked. That's funny, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's actually is that so that's the one, Mona?
6: So this is the Persian equivalent. So obviously, we, we love oh. weddings and brides, and um, yeah, we have to be well prepared for these events. So um, yeah, exactly right. There's uh, no there's way a- in hell we
2: could have gotten that
6: from that uh, room.
0: No, I don't even know how Shaya got that. The Arus. I mean, could you not have used a better example? Like, two people are at a we- wedding. One of them is not. <laughs> <laughs> Kumar, and, Kumar and Batman with the oxen. I was, I was like way off. My, my mind it was. was yeah, uh, huh. so, uh, yeah. So, how, can you tell us a bit about how this proverb is applied, uh, um, Mona?
6: Well, I guess really it's about um, taking ownership and doing your due diligence. I mean, a lot of the time in life, we, we tend to find um, responsibility and other things as a scapegoat, but really we need to take ownership of of. Our own actions and make sure that we step up when we need to.
0: So again, Arus Mige, no, Arus. Arus Baladnisper. Ar- Arus Baladnisper, she uh, the bride can't dance well. Migezamin. she says the, the floor is, <laughs> is crooked.
6: Uh, Blames it on the dance. And, so,
4: and sometimes, sometimes we use only zamin kaje. You know, for example, you have to do something, and you br- you bring some uh, you know unrelated excuses, mm-hmm. and I would say, okay, zamin kaje. Means you can. You are, <laughs>
0: so good. ro nameharid orsnakarde. Don't bring Chunk me
2: into this. I mean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Internet, <laughs> Internet, <laughs> Internet. <laughs> Reza,
2: Reza is more more understandable, but not Kian, not this work. No, right. actually, you
0: are hardworking. That's true. Shia and Reza were better examples, so. Although,
6: Yes, you know, I'll use them next. Poor time. Captain
0: Reza. He's uh, I've seen him with the oxen, and he's very very hardworking. I like how proverbs always have to do with ancient animals. Oh, like, there's always some a camel or an ox. Like it's never. Something It's never like a French bulldog or something <laughs> contemporary, you know. It's <laughs> always like the oxen with the uh,
2: <laughs> no. I was even gonna ask, what's an oxen? Is that short, like uh, ox ox <laughs> oxens
0: oh. are it's what
2: a cow, a cow. yeah, aux. but they
0: but they're cows who pull uh tractors, yeah. Things, see, I right? know
2: them as an ox, I didn't know there was a whole well, ox is sure for version. oxen, yes. I yeah. figured,
0: what is oxen in Farsi, by the way? <laughs> the Gov Mish. Don't know. Oh, the the Gov Mish. <laughs>
1: <Yeah, laughs> I love it. I love
0: it. Uh-huh. Uh, listen, oh, don't aspire to just be a Gov in life. Be a Gov Mish.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: That's my proverb. Uh, Mona from Melbourne, learns. thank you. You make us smarter, and we, we learn all kinds of things to say when someone criticizes our work or our dancing. And
6: it's, it's a delight to talk to you all and, and have this space. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you, Mona. Bye, Bye
6: Mona. Mona. Bye-bye. Bye, take care.
0: Bye. Mona Keani. Mona from Melbourne. Find her at EnglishCFRC on Instagram. Well, our next guest is a musician, a lyricist, an archaeologist, and a curator of cultural events with a focus on Iran. She is known for some memorable songs she's been involved in. Take a listen to this. of the song Dark Room from 1996 by the band Archive and featuring our guest today, Roya Arab on vocals and lyrics. You know, Roya Arab was born in Tehran, but fled Iran with her family during the 1979 revolution. She has written lyrics and melodies for a variety of artists. Her first major foray, you might say, into recorded music in the UK was on this trip-hop album, Londinium. you just heard a taste of, with the band Archive. Since then, she has written, recorded, collaborated with a number of artists, including her sister, Leila Arab, a groove writer, Mike Figgis, Cat. Ashkusha, and Arshid Azarin, to name a few. After years of working in and around music, Roya attended university to complete a degree and master's in archaeology at the Institute of Archaeology, UCL. She is currently in the midst of a PhD in music in Iranian film at City University of London, and she's very focused on Iranian history and excavating our cultural past and right now, Roya Adab joins me from London, England. Hello.
7: Hi, Jian Jian. I hope you're having a good day over in snowy Toronto. <laughs>
0: nice to have you back on the program. Is it, is it exhausting and or annoying hearing music from your past, or are you okay with that?
7: I was really surprised by your choice of songs, Jian. <laughs> and it was actually one of the first songs that we ever did actually the first song
0: i suspect that that was an, an important song to you because you did the demo of that and i think you wrote the lyrics to that so
7: no actually of all of them Jian, you chose the one that um when i first met them uh, darius came up and said look i've got some lyrics and i've got some music and this is going to be a rapper on and then i simply as he played it to me on a tape recorder in those days we belong to the stone ages um They uh, and I was like wow, and I moved the lyrics around, and uh, sang it there. And then he goes, "That's it." But I've only had a hand in editing those lyrics to turn them into more lyrical form.
0: You are listed as one of the the lyric writers, but yeah, because
7: I I do I do adapt things, but that. But beyond that, everything else is my own lyrics.
0: Trust me. Trust me to pick the one that I, I knew there was something I liked about it. it was It's the song that you <laughs> didn't write. <that> I,
7: <laughs> but, but, I, but I wrote the melody and adapted it. But you know something, Jian, a couple of corrections before I forget. Please. I, I, I think I was a failure at PhD. It's far too much structure. So I sort of have taken a couple of years out to reconsider what to do. But delighted with the research I've done within music and film, and it's opened up a whole other area of interest for me within Iranian culture. And secondly, the last time we spoke, I made a major boo-boo error. I conflated two hugely important characters in my excitement and said, Oh, a master astronomer who wrote the book of Kings. In fact, Fedus who wrote Shahnameh, which we know is one of the most performed and important poetic, um, and in a sense, semi-historical treaties, and very important, really. Uh, after Rudaki, the second book to be written in Persian, after the Arabs came. Sorry about this, i got to correct myself, because I feel really unprofessional.
0: Well, the, the second the second correction I will accept. The first one, yeah. I do not believe yeah. is a correction, because I uh, if you... <laughs> Because I, I very smartly said she is currently in the midst of a PhD, which I oh, think thank the Lord. I think you can you can you know you can claim that for the next fifty years. You're in the midst of a PhD. Oh,
7: yeah. no, I can't I can't be dishonest. I failed miserably, Gian, because I was watching all these other students who every single term would improve with their presentations and me I was still faffing about trying because with PhD, it's like you enter a garden, but you must speak about one petal of one flower in amazing detail. But being an archaeologist, I'm a bit obsessed with context and past, present, and what's to come. So I became really f- so involved in everything that I couldn't find that one petal of the one flower they want to discuss.
0: I think the fact that you want to look at the whole garden is a good a good reason to put the, the PhD <laughs> on hold. And another thing,
7: Omar Khayyam, i got to tell you, because really, I do. You, do you
0: have a do you have a correction for him as well?
7: Yes, because I I said uh, I mixed Omar Khayyam and Ferdusi. Omar Khayyam, master astronomer, master mathematician, and essentially, funnily enough, for our Northern American friends, um, his philosophical writings in poetic form, in a, a, at the turn of the last century, when the Americans were thinking about individuality and ideas of philosophy, he was so essentially important in so much that happened culturally honestly at the turn of the last century in europe and especially america in terms of thoughts about philosophy and all this kind of thing so correction done now we can get on with it mate Okay.
0: are you sure there's no more correction?
7: yes yeah, yeah miss yeah yeah miss it's over love <laughs> oh. You know, you know,
0: it, it, I'm glad that you set things up the way you did there with your my, my because it speaks to your your variety of interests. What uh, in terms of the things you just listed off, your lyric writing, Omar Chayam, the Shah I wanted to see the whole garden, not just the petal. My impression of you is as an explorer. I th- you are curious, you want to explore, whether it's in your artistic and musical works, uh, which uh, span quite a few different genres and styles, or whether it's in academia, would you call yourself an explorer? Am I right?
7: Yeah, pretty, I suppose, inquisitive. <laughs> At worst, nosy, darn right bloody nosy, mate. Mm. I get things out of I'm. It's really weird that I was with my cousin in Sweden for Yalda and I met some of his friends and we were chatting to his friends and he's like, Roy, you've got out of my friend in this last few hours more than I have in 40 years. I genuinely, I, I think it's, yeah, just inquisitive. And my dream, my dream, if I had the finance and the freedom of the time is the explorer side of me is the world. There is nothing I enjoy more than... Being in different places, mm. tasting different things, having different oh, I mean, it's just like it's it's unbelievable. That's that. Yeah. That
0: is my that is my sense of you. By the way, is is inquisitive yeah. and nosy the same thing? Feels like nosy is more pejorative.
7: Yeah, do you know something? When I say "don't right nosy," because look, at the end of the day, every good thing has a bad side as well. So yes, I'm genuinely an inquisitive person, but at worst, <laughs> but I genuinely love people, love planet Earth. Just um, yeah, and I'm and I want to, yeah, because how long are we here for? Each turn, you mm. know what I mean. So,
0: let me read a quotation to you, inquisitive girl, and you and you tell me who it's <laughs> from. Okay. Okay the past and present are tied up in knots and the only thread dangling on the side is knowledge of what terrible students we are, not learning more from our greatest teacher, the past. Who wrote that?
7: Oh, gee, <laughs> you can't quote me to yourself. <laughs> That's quite freaky deaky. Um, okay. Let me take a breath. Uh, just, um,
0: so, so to be clear, that was you. Uh, why, yes. Why has why has history become so? It's a beautiful quote. I love that. Our greatest teacher, the past, and what terrible students we are, not learning more from it. Why has history become so important to you?
7: Oh. Oh God, you're asking. Uh, okay, you got to give me a moment, Jian. Um, I think losing your history when you leave a country in exile is a big part of it is a momentum it's a big bang of things happening and so much happened to me when that happened when we had to leave our country behind
0: do you lose your history when you leave a country you still have your history
7: yeah you see you don't you when you When I came here 11, 1979, I was sent to boarding school. The rest of the time I was with my Lebanese friends, my African friends, some English friends. I was learning a new language. I was learning piano in a classical form here. I wasn't seeing my cousins. When I entered my family home, there was my culture, my people, my language. With beyond that, I was in a foreign place. And we had been abroad before as children and sent to summer schools. So that wasn't so unique as the fact that I couldn't go back because before we'd come two months in Switzerland, Montana, then we'd be back with our cousins again for the last month of the summer holiday. And what happens is, is as you acclimatize and become some, because you look at all the second and third, because this question of diaspora and the different generations of diaspora and how they change, a young man, Of 25 who's arrived from iran a few years ago a few months ago to canada is a very different creature to an 11 year old who has been abroad for 40 years luckily going back to iran how many young Indians go back to iran how many children of future general of future iranians who are even born to two parents who are abroad so this 25 year old who comes and works with you at rock who's here When his children are born, what are they born into? So yes, and then beyond that, Iran has a general problem after the revolution. We have lost so much political and social standing in the world that our history is being played with. The time I mentioned of Omar Khayyam in the turn of the century was a time in New York, you had the Persian rooms. We were the Persian cats and the Chaviar and refinement and the Achaemenids and the Sassanids. But in the last 40 years, even the Persian Gulf, which has been called the Persian Gulf for you go and look up maps, time immemorial, for a while it was called Gulf of Bahrain. Um, The name has been Persian Gulf, just like the Arabian Sea was Arabian Sea. They turned it into Red Sea. Go after your own Arabian Sea. Why are you after that Arabian? There was never called the Arabian Gulf. Right. We, We have lost so much agency and voice in the international arena. You just go and look it up. Let me
0: let me hang on a second. Let me uh, because um, let me recast the question a little bit, and I'll get back to all the things you just mentioned for sure. When did an exploration of the past become a focus for you? Have you always been this way, or was there a
7: turning point in recent years where you thought, oh, (laughs) "Oh." (laughs) you know, we God. Bless her and rest her soul. It's one of the only teachers whose name I remember, Miss Sparrow in history. She was such an old-fashioned dragon of a teacher that I never liked history as a child, quite strangely. I think when I... Um, it's music. I was doing music um, with... Uh, uh, th- which has been my dream. Performance, music, all of that. And suddenly I was a signed artist, and suddenly I was like, this really sucks. And I was in Crete on a holiday with my sister Ziba and there was this man who was telling us a lot of things and then in his lunch break on the, you know, on those boats you catch, Me and this like eight-year-old boy wouldn't let him eat. I was like, how do you know all of this? He goes, I'm an archaeologist. This is where I got the knowledge. And I was like, wow, I want to know this stuff. And I suppose you sort of want to make sense of today. Hmm. It's like... How did we get here to where we are? Surely, I've got to look in the past to find the journey that led us here.
0: And yet, I mean, uh, we—you we, you, know—you could look at the the recent um, situation in the United States on the political level and wonder how many lessons have been learned from history. We don't tend to look back enough. And I, I, I mean, I fully agree with you. I live by the credo that you don't want, you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you come from. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's not something that we, uh, it's not something that we're conditioned to do anymore, but maybe it has something well, to do with, a, with the, the fact that speed is the currency of the world now and, and social media and all of that. It's, we're not really geared towards sitting down and taking a breath and saying, okay, what happened 500 years ago and what can I learn from it?
7: You know, it's speed, it's snippets of information, and most scary of all, it's misinformation, and most difficult of all, it's multiple platform, multiple informations. So it takes a great deal of discernment and discretion to be able to select carefully from what is being uh, uh, promulgated. So I mean, the thing with looking back, I think. For me, that came from, there was a, there's a really good book called Comedians by Trevor Griffiths, it's a play. And it was the play you sort of read if you want to learn about comedy and where comedy comes from. And generally the root of comedy is pain. And how, when alternative comedy came, it was about stopping laughing about people's pain or about the mother-in-law and what have you, which jokes were often framed in, in the past. And in this book, it had a reference to Auschwitz. And I thought, because I, I get quite motioned about this stuff. Wait. Because <laughs> you asked deep stuff, Gian. I thought we were t- going to talk shit. So, uh, But we're not. Wrong
0: show. Wrong show.
7: <laughs> so, basically, um, I thought I've got to go and see. So I did. And around the same time, you had the Hutu and the Tutis. The, mm. In Rwanda, you had the same thing.
0: 1994
7: Rwanda. Yeah, and I just thought, okay, so they keep going on about, and we've got to be clear, with Auschwitz, it was intellectuals, it was handicapped people, people with various disabilities, sorry to use the other word, Uh, it was um, revolutionaries, it wasn't just the Jewish people that were killed. There were so many people killed for so many different reasons, and then suddenly you think, okay, they've made museums for this. They keep going on about it and making films. And here I am, live, hearing about the same thing, killing en masse, going on, and it's based on the simple idea that a colonial father put in idea of, okay, if you have more than this many cars, you're a Hutu. If you have less, you're a Tutu. And I think that was the moment, really, for me, because there I was seeing something, then hearing something. And I thought, wow, we're really shit students. Roya,
0: why is Iranian history and culture then? so important to you. I mean, I know that we are Iranian, but in a sense, it's counterintuitive. You're in the UK. You just referenced Auschwitz and the, the, the Hutus and Tutsis. There, there, there's a, a lot of history around the world. There's a lot of history where you're sitting in London. You left Iran as a kid. Tell me about why you gravitate towards Iranian history and culture.
7: It's my parents. My father, To the we were taking him to the doctor two weeks before he died. He goes, bring me the papers, of the news i must give it to mr press the doctor to see what's happening in iran so i lived in a house where my father was pretty much obsessed with iran uh, he was al uh, dam and he was he was you could kill him on sight and his blood was halal so we escaped really with his life and um he everything was taken from him and then i had a mother who was very culturally iranian and constantly on the phone to iran and our food was Iranian when we were home, because after 16, we were then at home with our parents for the first time, because before that, we'd been in boarding school, so not so much with them. Uh, Iran was always so a big part of my life. And then I think, because you see, I was a singer, I was doing music, I was uh, listening to Billie Holiday, and my mother would be listening to Haida. And if I sang first, she she'd go, don't sing, you sound shit. <laughs> she was right, because... I'd I'd been learning everything in a Western headset. So Iran was always part of it. But I think after my trip to Iran, after meeting that archaeology chap, then I went to Iran for the first time after 20 years. And my cousin's kid, I said, what are you doing? She goes, I'm becoming an archaeologist. And I said, in my next life, I'm going to be an archaeologist, mate. And um, as I became more attached to Iran and my family during visits, Uh, That part of my history became essential to find out more and to protect it because then I became more sensitive about the way Iran is treated. You know, I'm not going to treat uh, the great American art and culture and discovery that comes out by Trump or Bush Jr. Because then I would think what pathetic people. So we mustn't judge a nation and its history and everything it stands for with such a closed lens of modern political machinations it's most of it is utter bullshit
0: let me dig a little deeper then in terms of what your your experience was um both in iran and and in particular having to leave iran involuntarily it sounds like your family when when the revolution happened you, you were 11 years old um, Roya, what do you most remember from the events that happened uh, in, in 1979 in that time for you and your family?
7: We were on holiday in Italy. We'd been picked up, and we were in Rome, and it was on a mountain. And the Americans got stuck in the Lyft Hotel. And then my father, who always, when we were on holiday, sometimes he'd disappear. He'd go, I've got to go off for two days. This time he said, we we're all going back earlier than planned. So we went back and there was the summer holidays were finishing and school was beginning. And then school was constantly being disrupted, constantly. Uh, you, oh, and then people would go past your house going death to the king, then next minute death to this one, next minute long live this one. I was actually there when they said, oh, look up and see in the moon. Because, you know, in Iran, in the, we oh, everyone has a balcony or a... Uh, a boon or even a garden where you sleep in the summer when it's hot, hot. This was as children. This was our wish when grandma came and said, oh, please, can we all go and sleep with grandma outside? And they had net and everything. So I remember distinctly, but at that time, it wasn't the season for sleeping, but sitting on those beds that at summertime would have uh, mattresses and everything else. Do you get what I mean? It would be like a simple thing at that time. Sure. I remember that. And then, I remember my father flying to America because he was going to put us with his stepdaughter, but then flying overnight and taking us. And then the, two days later, the airports were closed. And we were in London, where we already had a place. So we were first dispatched to boarding school. My mother remained in Iran, paid every single worker of my father. And my father genuinely, I'm not just saying this, was one of the only people who didn't owe anyone anything when left the country because he paid everyone. And um, everything he owned uh, was taken because he was a a newspaper publisher. He was also a hotelier and he was a bit of a king's soldier footman from young age. Worked like in Victory House for MI6 under Miss Lampton. These are things that I have to go through his papers and do it all this. This is another big project I've got to do because we've only got a few remnants of what he did. Because everything he did was so secret, secret secretive. But he was also a... Uh, He also owned a cabaret. And when my mother married him, who was covered in Miami, she said, you must sell this because, you know, I don't want a cupboard for a husband. (laughs) So after, yeah, 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 fact. And then, but in Abadan, where he opened a hotel for political reasons, because they were competing with Pan-Arabism at the time in the early 70s. So they needed, my father was called Hassan Arab. He spoke Arabic. He had a newspaper that was translated into Arabic. Because it was all about stopping the Gulf Arabs uh, leaving us, leaving the Persianness. Do you see what I mean? So there was all this going on. In my childhood, uh, we'd spend time in Abadan always. So he had a nightclub. That's actually another reason where I learned music is because since childhood, I got to see some of the best acts, even when we were abroad, because in those days, you were allowed children in nightclubs. in Miami. Yeah, but it was my father's. He sold it to those two brothers.
0: I remember that you were allowed. I've told the story on Rook before to the Rook team. Like uh, when I was five years old, just before Enghelab, before the revolution, my family took a trip to Iran, and I remember being taken to the this cabaret, like a couple of like at night, like at eleven. I mean, for a five-year-old kid from England, this is like, what's going on here? I get to hang out at the cabaret at midnight. But uh, yeah, that was part of the. That was the scene in Tehran.
7: <laughs> Absolutely. And I had the honor of seeing such amazing acts. Yeah, when I think about it, even as a child, when we were abroad, one of the big things my father used to do was check out, check out foreign acts. Because after that, from Le Cabaret, who moved on to night club. Nightclub. <laughs> so that was, you know, because even though Cabaret Morami was a high-scale one, Because as you know, in Iran, there's a lot of associations made with certain sectors of performance and creative arts and things like venues. That's one of the things that drew me to studying venues through film and seeing how attitudes change towards music, musicianship, how venues change and altered. Part of it was because of my own childhood experience, to be honest.
0: But Roya, you sound, based on what you're telling me now... Um, you fall into that category of someone, um, if you'll excuse me for putting it bluntly, who had a very privileged life in Iran uh, in the seventies, and then your family moves to the UK. As you say, that you can't bring the resources with you, um, so you're in a new country, a new culture. Your family is in a is in a new uh, lower class uh, distinction. Uh, that that could no no, ab- no, no,
7: no, no, Gianja. Oh. Uh, to be frank with you, when we first came. Uh, I mean, I can't believe we're discussing my, this stuff. But it's
0: germane to the immigrant experience, though, you know, depending on what, yeah, yeah. what class no, you're I, in. When, right? we,
7: when we first came, everything was where it was. We lived in Cadagan Square in basically Knightsbridge. We had our boarding schools. And my father at first thought that we were going back. That's what he genuinely thought. And uh, he'd bought money out because he was opening two new hotels for things like cups and plates and beautiful tables and what have you. And that money, sadly, he went and opened places here. But he forgot that in Iran, he was a man of 40 years. His accountant was his best friend from school who was a Zoroastrian. His, so this man suddenly put his faith in a bunch of managers he met in this country, and he was rinsed dry, to be frank with you. So when we first came, everything was as normal, and we thought we were going back. Then after that, We had some hardships, but no way near as what people have. We didn't like arrive with like bare ass refugees or something You get me.
3: Yeah,
7: yeah. We sort of arrived with something, but then uh, to be honest with you, I, I, my parents were the most amazing people. Gian, I mean, from transvestites to every cultural background you can think of to musicians, to ban not to a builder. Our friends were so varied and all they ever said was uh, everyone bring them to our house? So oh. we had a really beautiful upbringing once we all came to London and lived together, uh, not just be us being in boarding school and being on holiday. They were amazing
0: parents, shield Well, it sounds like, Rosh uh, Bertone, luckily for you, you guys didn't experience what a lot of people do, which is to come yes. with, with absolutely nothing, etc. But um, there's another dimension to it, too, which I don't want to minimize in, in, in just by just looking through the lens of class, which is that this must have been incredibly difficult for your father, for your parents, and even for you to go from the power that he would have had in Iran to suddenly being sort of stripped of that and being uh, in relative terms a nobody in, in the UK and for you guys to um, be, and for you as a kid to be adjusting what you referred to in the, in the beginning of this talk about uh, losing your history, to be adjusting to um, a new set of circumstances. How, how did you deal with that? Do
7: you know something? In our childhood, we rarely ate with our parents. My father was always away. It's only when he lost his power, so to speak, after... because prior to that, he had his money still a bit, started business, so everyone was still eating off his table. A few very positive things happened, Jian. We realised who our family friends were. And for the first time, I sat and ate with my mum and dad every night. I hadn't done that, Gian. So actually, Funnily enough, for us, it brought the family together. Mm. We became reliant on each other. We are, I mean, the Arab house is famous. All our friends used to call up mom and dad, Baba John, dear dad, Bob of our Mama John. And one of my friends said, why is your dad called John? And I was like, no, you idiot. (laughs) John means dear life.
0: (laughs) By, By the way, does anybody, because of your last name, do people think you were Arabs?
7: Uh, yes, indeed, and I looked into it. My father's father, um, two hundred years ago, they settled from Iraq, uh, Iraq as in Iraq, in Yazd, ah. in Taft of Yazd. And my father, I only found this out about a year before he died because he said, "Oh, I'm from the sa- My father is from the same place as this person's father." Because my father never spoke; he was he was he wasn't a man of many words.
0: You know, I read somewhere that you started writing lyrics and poetry when you were 12. So if I'm doing the math correctly, that would have been a year after you landed in England. Did did the move somehow yeah. bring out an artistic side in
7: you? Um I from childhood, I sang before I could talk properly and I danced the minute I could walk. I've always had a real affiliation with music, yeah. So it's something that I did. It just I did what I did and when I first came here, our father was the kind he put us up for judo, for piano, you name it, everything extracurricular, he put our name down. And, um, like, within honestly, within three, four months of being here, I entered a competition and I could not even read. Just by hearing, I would play back. And it was a Bach competition and I came second. I had so immediately the piano came, but the poem. I actually remember I wrote it on small pieces of paper and it was something along the line of very pathetic. But I honestly thought of it the other day, thinking about poetry. Something along the lines of life is like a butterfly, uh, it only lasts a day, something. And I think that may have been a reaction to, wow, look at how life changed. Hmm. You,
3: know?
0: you become well-known and popular in Iran, as well, because of the 1996 Londonian album uh, with the band Archive. Let me let me just play another taste of this. This time I'm going to play uh, the title track, which you're also listed as a lyric writer on. Uh, did you actually write yes. the lyrics? Okay. Yes, yes,
7: yes, yes, yes.
0: Okay, that
7: Take... first song was the one of all the ones you played. Bloody Jean my Kong.
0: favorite, that one was my favorite. Let's let's play a little bit of Londinium. Sure.
7: Are you in?
8: Without the force cannot be blamed, just the hunger or greed supplying the old betrayal. water, no profit to supply. Round, too
0: Such a good song. A Taste of the Song Lundinium by Archive, that is Roya Adab on vocals and lyrics, Roya. Um, is with me here you know from from what i can let me let me try and get the archive story out of you here because from what i can piece together this band this artistic collaboration was um initially a beautiful thing you guys created some magic around that time 95 96 then you get signed to a label and things go to shit when it becomes a business imperative and you end up leaving have i got the story right
7: Oh, yeah, pretty much what happened is they were, they'd got some money off mother to do a demo. We did a de- and they met me. They were looking for a singer through Basil because I used to jam a lo- around London a lot. How I learned music was in the 90s, there was a massive jamming scene where pretty much any night of the week from South to North London, you'd find a different scene from funk to jazz, you name it. And then uh, so they said, we need a singer. She said they said, oh, uh, has said she'll suit you so they got in touch with me we went and did the demo mother paid for another demo then funnily enough mother's head met us and said mm, not going to sign them he picked up the fact that we weren't going to remain a band Island and many other people started like uh whoring themselves it really was like that in the old days um and then they won the race. I had nothing to do with the business side. The minute all of this came, to be very frank with you, London the album was ready a year before it got put out. In between that year, different producers were invited. Two more tracks were added on and there was no advantage to that waiting a year other than it broke us up. So Darius one day said we had a rehearsal. Roscoe was late. Uh, we hadn't seen each other for ages because they'd been, as I call it, twiddling their bloody knobs, um, pretending to produce. You know, it's just that bullshit of the 90s. You can't begin to imagine yeah. because there was a lot of money in it. There was drugs and there was people we, like the A&R were more, uh, you would think they were the bloody artists turning up. I, I,
0: I remember. <laughs> yeah.
7: Yes. Yeah, so so um, Darius goes, okay, I'm calling a die, mate. So I, I said, fine, fine. Okay, so be it. And then about a few months later, him and their female, new female manager came to me see me and said, would you join us again? I said, no, not without Roscoe, because Darius and Roscoe had been the ones who had founded the band originally. And then about seven, eight months later, they got in touch and said, look, New Parayo, really important show has got in touch and said, can you come and perform? I mean, we did this thing which had tears in the eyes of the sound people apparently, but come the actual live performance, <laughs> someone had played with Darius's knobs, quite aptly, and he hadn't checked the BPM. So everything came out in a lower beat, and the guitarist, everyone went whack. They didn't know what key to go into. I immediately changed key, obviously, because it is a singer, it's really easy. But as a, as a guitarist, and whatever. So it just turned to some shambolic performance which is weird, weird, it was weird. And uh, yeah, so I said, you know what, mate, This is obviously a sign from God. I'm not even meant to do a one-off with you people. And then um, then after that, the finally, uh, some guy had made a film and used the song and said, I want to make a video. I said, yeah, but I wrote the song before you wrote the video. I want to be a, <laughs> a mechanical doll because that's what this represents. And I want to throw water over myself. He goes, oh, that is so great because I have a scene with water in the film. Mm-hmm. So bless him. It's Olivia Dahan. He went with it. So I'm really happy because that song, Nothing Else, is, a, is really an important song to me. And I'm glad that we got to actually have a nice a visual for it to, you know, for people to watch. And um. that was the end of Archive.
0: Well it wasn't the end of Archive it was the end of Archive for, for you me. because yeah for me. yeah yeah they they've continued and 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 they've put ah. out some they've put out some decent records you know but that it's that that original record this Londinium that is is really special and I wonder if you I mean beyond the, the 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 nonsense that you had to go through when you you know 20 years removed 25 years removed now do you are you sad that you guys didn't continue with that sound that that particular moment that you had
7: not in the bloody least, <laughs> darling. I can say that to you with every ounce of my being. Let me tell you, mate, two, three essential points. My life has taken a, such a better turn in terms of I've worked with different people. I stopped doing music, went and learned archaeology. I still till now curate amazing events that blow my brain from the things I learned personally and I hope other people learn. About our culture, about our people um and going away from music for ten years now that i've come back to it i'm in I'm in command oh, I, gotcha. I I no longer have a bunch of men ordering me around
0: could, or, could Could you give me a more clear response on whether you are are happy or not
7: <laughs> yes 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 i would never have I would never have done. The things I have done till today. let is- me
0: ask you I got it. I got it. you you're very clear. I, let me ask you one final question though about archive. why why do you think this is something I haven't been able to figure out? and it's ironic, given that we had you on the program a couple of months ago talking about why Pink Floyd um, broke through in 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 such a profound way with with Iranians. Why do you think archive? are one of those bands i mean and you and archive that moment of archive that is that broke through in iran and that iranians know about i haven't been able to figure that out
7: um originally i mean i don't want to sound weird but uh, as far as i've been told by quite a few musicians i was the first uh, iranian they heard from outside iran uh, after the revolution that's Uh. one small aspect um the fact that there was an iranian singer then also, Darius's musical sensibility is very Middle Eastern, the style of his thinking, because his mother has a PhD in Iranian literature named her son Darius. They're English people. So they've been brought up in a very Sufi-led Islamic because his parents are both Muslims. So Darius has a sensibility musically that people pick up on very strongly. So I think initially the fact that the music was so leaning like that, and, oh, my God, an Iranian singer, that Roya Arab, And they were all confused. Arab, is she Arab, is she Iranian? But where they really blew up, apparently, this I was told later, was um, they have a song, Fuck You. And that became a bit of an anthemic song during the 2008 Green Movement. Hmm. But that's where they hit a brand new generation. So for the musicians, it was, wow, there's an Iranian musician out there doing something in Hmm. the 90s. Then. There was the fact that his music is so leaning towards right. that.
0: 2009 Green Movement, by the way. In case you want to correct it yeah. on, in our next interview, Sorry. we can just do it right now. <laughs> okay. Good, good, good call, <laughs> Yes, know. thank you. Uh, so you continue on your musical path um, with a bit of a respite when you take this deep dive into archaeology. Uh, you, you referenced it a second ago, learning about Iranian culture. Tell me about this in, in, in terms of digging into Iranian archaeology, which would take not only a, the full interview but uh, a, a series of interviews to really properly understand and and, and Iranian history and all of, all that you've learned. Could you, in simple terms, for example, tell me something that you've most learned about Iranian culture? Culture, by um by excavating as i said before um, our cultural roots through your interests in archaeology and history
8: um
7: what a blessed land Iran is you have the salt sea below and the sea above and one of the biggest freshwater lakes in that region you have the amazing waterfalls and water sources around the Bakhtiari region, you have different climates all from top to bottom, different natural wonders. Dear God, if you were to film from top to bottom of Iran and all this also creates a bounty of natural food stuff. So from saffron, the best thing in the world almost before the, those things, the pig smell and find truffles came, one of the most expensive was saffron items. walnuts and almonds to dates it's so it's a very abundant land and that same abundance that is naturally there is culturally there so if you want poetry if you want mathematics algebra algebra another iranian um if you want medicine ibn sina hamadan first canon of medicine up until the during all the since universities begun much later than in the Arab world, the Islamic world, which incorporates Arab, Iranian, Jewish, all of it. That's the one thing people don't realize. Before the sort of Christians took over the that was the golden era of the Islamic world with some of the best universities in the world. And Iran was a big feature of that, my friends. So Iran, as a land is beautiful, as a culture, it has a lot to offer anything you name it, mate, from food, to dance, to music, even filmmaking. We even can't crack that one.
0: What do you think that the the West, to generalize, gets most wrong about the... Uh, the ancient history of Iran. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, a poli sci history graduate and, and I focused mostly on the 20th century. And, you know, I, I know most of, I think I mean, most people know that the kind of stereotypes or generalizations made in the West about Iranians, most people in our community at least know it, you know. Uh, but, but when it comes to ancient Iran, our, our culture and our history, where does the Western narrative skew um, incorrectly?
7: Do you know something? It is not so much about skewing, it's about ignoring and leaving out of the history book. So for a while I became obsessed about what they teach in secondary schools to the West. And then I also did some research on what primary schools taught. And I thought, you guys, you could talk about Egypt. Do you not think that, and you talk about Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia land between two rivers, Elam of Iran falls into that. Why, why are we not mentioning that there's an operated woman in Shada sukhdeh in the burned city with an eye that has been uh, that has got bitumen for the colour and gold thread to keep it? Why don't we talk about the operated skull? Um, basically, my friend, I don't think it's about so much skewing as ignoring and not giving it the importance that all histories are important though. Let's yeah. be clear about that. So maybe that sounds a bit chauvinist nationalist. No,
0: it's, it's, it's worse. You're right. It's worse than skewing. It's written out of history, basically.
7: A bit. Yeah, we, they're forgetting. I mean, honestly, you can't underestimate Ed for example. After the Bible, it was the second most printed book in the entire, when printing came in the European world. And it was taught in universities far and wide of Europe from the 14th century on when they opened universities
0: but it's also sometimes seeing um the, the persians of the past as the bad guys right i mean if you you know the movie the movie 300 that kind of version of of history
7: okay that's good there's, there's a really convoluted reason for that i've again this is one of the things that really concern my mind this idea of east west red blue so for example we had the red fight for decades this whole idea of the communist war yeah them and us when this them and us disappeared and you'll see around the late uh, mid 90s suddenly there was a christian muslim them and us and it got enacted in europe al- around yugoslavia if you notice the uh, balkan wars that was a real clear moment of distinguishment even within europe
0: sure and and islam and arabs replaced the uh, soviets as the the threat to the west in the narrative for sure yeah
7: absolutely so um, Now, you've made me forget because, by the way, I have short-term memory loss. The, the I, think movie,
0: you, the, I said the movie 300 and you jumped out of yeah, your Oh, seat, that's so, yeah.
7: it. That's it. So what we've got to watch out for is where does this narrative of them and us begin? So the barbarians is people from another land. When you look at the Greek writings, they talked about the barbarians as the Macedonian and then, um, what you had early writings in the Greek people. You had uh, sort of like Syrapia, which for a while was in the Senate as one of the important books for any senator of America to read. This was a bit of a fantasized version of the Persian dynasty, because at first the Greeks really looked up to the Persians. Then Alexander, who is a Macedonian, invades Greece, and at that time, who was the bigwig? Persians. So. The the Greeks, the first play, extant play we've got left from that era, the first play we've got is about the Persians and what they thought, the Persians thought, when they battled, they lost the battle. The Persians didn't give a shit because in their writings, they didn't even refer to it. At that point, the Greeks were just these niggly people across who, the, who were battling with them until Alexander came. So I think some of it goes back to the varied ways that Iran-Persia in the past was viewed by the Greek ideology. And that ideology passed on into Euro normative thinking, do you see? So, and the interesting part is they talk about, oh, when they get against the Persians, look at these luxury Persians. They eat a sweet thing after their meals as well. Look at the, uh, but then, They then get obsessed about how Philip, the father of Alexander, loves luxury. So when they talk about luxury for the Persians, it becomes something derogatory, but it's something they clearly aspire
3: to.
7: (laughs) There is a bit of a convoluted ancient conversation, and it's very much like the modern conversations of them and us. Very much so. So that's what it is. There was a them and us about Persia, and that the Euro-American way of looking at Persia is still stuck in that era.
0: I mean, uh, I was going to ask you if you think this convoluted conversation, and/or the writing us out of history, is changing. I mean, we were. It was only a few weeks ago that Mike Pompeo, the uh, um, <laughs> one of the members of the executive branch of the United States, was still peddling theories about Iranians being, um, uh, uh, you know, the great threat to the world, and not just the regime, presumably, but <laughs> but our very existence. But but do you think? Do you feel like this is? This is changing globally with the growth of Iranians in the diaspora. I mean, even with programs like Rook, quite frankly, if we can pat ourselves on the back. I mean, this is partly about trying to um on an ongoing basis reverse you know a simple um single identity uh version of iranians that fits into a stereotype but but to broaden and and talk about who we really are or or the way we might see it reflected in in the growth of the interest in persian cuisine around the world or um persian artists do do, iranian artists do do you see it changing no
7: it's like drip, drip, to make a sea where there's an ocean just around the corner, mate. We have so much misinformation. Do you know that uh, they, they, put, they put away like $80 million, I can't remember who it was, I think it was in the Bush era, to demonize Iran. Unfortunately, um, the amount of demonization that goes on, the amount of apathy, for the recipients of that demonized vision. So it's one thing having ignorance, but it's one thing not being interested to look beyond Fox and Pompeii and people as idiotic as them. No offense, no, I shouldn't say that because they're probably very bright, just from a different ilk. But um, yeah, it helps that people like our food. It helps that they meet you and think, oh, he's civilized, or they meet me and think, oh, she sings well or what have you. But there's an ocean, my friend, and drip, drip the seed, you know what I'm trying to say? So we can try, we can try, but how Iranian are you, Jiyan? You went to Iran when you were five, and uh, how, how Iranian are your children gonna be? So it's a, it's a really big question, what, what's happening. And unfortunately, what deeply depresses me, <laughs> so I don't want to go too much into this, what's happening within Iran? So this like Bush, uh, this new one, Trump, In a matter of four years, Gian, the price of Iranian money went from, it used to be around 1,400 for a pound. We'll just go with pound. It went to 5,000 and during for a pound. And then the 5,000 is now 35,000 Tomans for a pound. And let me give you some perspective, Gian. You could buy a brand new car for 20, uh, no, for twenty thousand tomans in 1979, the devaluation of the Iranian currency, and the whatever goes on politically within Iran, do we even have a culture left to look back on? Do people even? Are they're right. too hungry to think about their culture. Right. Yeah. You know?
0: By the way, I don't have any kids yet, but when I when I do, I assure you that little Mahmoud and Akbat will be um, <laughs> extremely. Uh, they they will be required to recite the Shah Noma at the age of two. They will be required to uh, to do uh, entire Mazdrabrani stand up uh, routines. They will be required to write um, a critical dissertation on Not Without My Daughter by the age of six. So I I, I will make sure that um, they are. Well schooled, and uh, you've gone silent. You're, you're yeah, in shock. I'm listening. Uh, uh-uh. I'm
7: listening to you, but okay. still, my friend, this is really different.
0: I from I know. From I know.
7: <laughs> Iranian culture. Sometimes when I go, because I go to Iran a lot, I pretty much go every year. I'm obsessed with my family. I enjoy nothing more in the world than picnics with my family or sitting on the balcony with ballol and oh, I can't begin to tell you. To me, it's heaven on earth. And um, yes, yeah, so. When I go to Iran, sometimes I come out of Iran and I think, wow, in some instances, Iranian culture is more alive outside Iran than within Iran, simply because of the social, economic and political pressures within mm-hmm. Iran. So in time, those you can erase a culture within a land itself, and that's what I fear very much, to be honest with you.
0: In the spirit of interspersing uh, musical moments throughout this interview, I, I just want to play a taste of one more piece of music. Um, I know we're going to go out on something very new, but this is this one's relatively new. It's from last year, and this is a collaboration with uh, uh, our common friend, our dear Arshid Azarin, uh, the great uh, jazz piano player and doctor, uh, uh, the Iranian-French man. This is a, a, a piece called Hidden Hell. Uh, let me just play a little bit of it, and then I want to ask you about it.
8: Sun comes up and we lay down, slumbering high till nightfall come. Close the door, come lay by my side. Lost in a place of late return. Silver limpers and less pleasure to pay. Hidden hell we made, top of the tower we end
0: A little taste of hidden hell. Arshid Azarin with uh, Roya Arab. You know, as I, I love your voice so much. I hope we. I don't want us to lose you to archaeology too often or too much more. You're you you are such a treasure. You're that voice of yours.
7: Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Gian. <laughs> This is like uh, we call it in Farsi. <laughs> You're blowing up my ass, man. <laughs> it's good it's good it's
0: so beautiful it is so your, <laughs> your voice is it's a it is a treasure so, t- so, so tell me about that piece uh that one um there's
7: a there's a really there's a billionaire family called the rising family and I first it got they came to my attention when I read about the wife being caught out in the British, American embassy with lots of different drugs when they and I thought wow how addicted is she that she is, even takes the drugs with her to the American embassy Then about a year and a half later or so, I read that the husband was caught driving drunk by police. They follow him home because he had all manner of drugs in his house and discover her body dead after an overdose. He just kept covering her with blanket after blanket after blanket. For some reason, this whole story just really haunted me. And then, you know, when they keep writing about in the press, oh, and the body was found and da-da-da-da, And the thing that really bothered me is they had four children and I knew that they were very wealthy and had uh, workers and everything. So I tried, I I just tripped on them. I sometimes get this where I, a lot of the uh, songs I write is empathic. You know, I feel something and I have to say something about it. And then, so that's why the whole idea of Hidden Hell, I thought, wow, you have four children family. Where have you got to that you can so disappear that she can die no one bloody notices and you can carry on as you were just covering her with blankets how did you get here so that's where that song came from <laughs> my nosiness my inquisition
0: you know that song that song feels quite um cinematic to me it it it, it it's evocative it brings uh, images to mind which i suppose uh, is a good segue to 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 asking you briefly about this um this study you've been doing on music in Iranian films. Um, it, it sounds very specific. Can you tell us something that you've learned from, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot you've learned, but something you can, you can briefly, a takeaway that you can share with us um, of, of what you've learned through the trajectory of music used in Iranian films over the last hundred years?
7: Uh, I, I was looking more at the social sort of aspect of it. Uh, for a start, at first, they really try to copy the Western people. There is a real tendency for using uh, Western classical instruments, but that, I think we discussed before, has to do with polyphony. So there is that. But more importantly, what's really interesting is musicians, venues, who's playing for who, where, and when it all disappears. Because come 1980, What you have prior to that is a very musically aware um, filmmaking. There's always songs in it. There is music within it. If someone goes to a nightclub, if they go to a restaurant. But then suddenly during the 1980s, there's an absolute absence of a diegetic music within the scene, be it except the first you see as a child. So basically for me, uh, the films and the music being performed within them we're not talking about the score here, jian The film being perf- music being performed within them tells you a lot about the attitudes towards music within the nature within Iran and the changing attitudes. So, whilst in the 1980s, the, one of the first films you see about musicians is Motreb. Look, he's a drug addict. Da da da. Just a really bad attitudes toward musician. You only ever see uh, Iranian. instruments for a few seconds play because there was a massive big debate within iran and islam about whether you even show musicians still today now they don't show on national tv when a musician plays an instrument they show you flowers and birds and other things so basically seeing whether there are music musicians and how they are treated and where they can perform and to who within a film tells you a lot about the changing attitudes because come 90s you have a film like uh, Two Thousand. You have a film like Max, where it's an absolute musical, and you have. But it's uh, the women no longer sing; they are right, always in the right, background. Right. The men become the singers. They become the dancers post nineteen nineties and two thousand. So there's a real change. You can say it, see a lot about society and its attitudes to music in the films. That's why and do the phd i can't even give you a bloody straight answer mate you see
0: <laughs> actually that 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 is what a phd is like <laughs> it's like from what i understand it's a uh, it's it's too detailed you can't yes but you should get your ele- elevator pitch together for your uh, for for your next interview um you have so much to share musically and, and in your observations, and yet you're not easy to access, you know? I mean, uh, I I I kind of love that you're not on social media because I think it's badass, and I think people who are not on social media these days are the coolest people uh, in the world. But why are you not on social media, just out of curiosity?
7: I have no reason not to be on social media. I have always in the last few years, being accessible through my academic lines um what do you need what does anyone need to know about me for what
0: well i mean everything you do could be things that you are, i mean that other people would would say i mean most people would say look i'm a musician part of the gig these days is having to be on Instagram and post my stuff or having to you know uh, be telling people on Facebook or on Twitter about my latest gig uh, as a, as somebody who writes interesting pieces you would link to them as an archaeologist who's discovering things you would talk about that as an observer who's seeing things that you don't like and and, and who's done activist things in the past you would write about that and you'd, you'd scream from the rooftops and you'd get a bunch of likes and clicks and uh, annoyed people and trolls i mean that's what social media is so you're you, you would be just as relevant as anybody else uh, or more so it's it's a curious decision
7: yeah but i'm not interested that's the point i on purpose made a website which oh, for three years i haven't even updated and that <laughs> website for was one sole purpose it started with was because the amount of incorrect lyrics that are out there and i wanted somewhere where i could put my interactions, how things happened. And as I've done more curating work, I wanted there to be a record of what I've done for future so I know, oh, do you know what I mean? So I've done a site, and that, to me, is enough of a presence online. When it comes to things like Instagram and Twitter, generally, I perform with other people. They bloody well do it. That's good enough (laughs) for me, mate. And you
0: you don't feel like you're missing anything by not being in that oh, world
7: i think you people are missing something by being on it yeah. funnily enough you're missing life because so many people what was it uh i actually wrote about this you know um because people are they, they they cruise through their life on a screen do you know how much time you're it told takes you're
0: you're absolutely right you're absolutely right i i i, I had a a, a break from social media um, after a, an involuntary uh, 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 break in my life uh, five or six years ago. And I took a break from social media for about a year and a half, healthiest year and a half I've had, you know, just completely outside of the toxicity of it, uh, outside of the, the ongoing, uh, even just outside of looking at a, at a screen. But, you know, this is something that is... Um, that is a challenge for a lot of creators a lot of writers out there for example who who say you know i got into this for writing novels not for having to go and tweet things but but they realize that it's part of the promotional game it's part of what they have to do so if you really wanted to put out a new royal arab album i'm not sure that you could do that and not be on social media if that was going to be your career i mean maybe the uh, fact but, that, you but know, no
7: that's why look my friend one of the reasons when you asked me about oh if you'd stayed with archive one of the things that really freaked me out as i've grown older i thought oh my god imagine if i'd been successful i'd have to go on tour and sing again and again the same song and the more successful i was i would have had to sing that same song again and again Damn to more right. people yep, yep. so to be frank with you it's a case of what do you want out of life i want out of life the opportunity when i write a song that i believe in I want the opportunity to share it with people. Over the last few years, I've made a conscious decision not to record anything. I simply do live. If it's good enough, it goes out there and people get it for free. They listen to it. Do you get what I mean? Not interested, mate. You want to hear it, you hear hear it. And if you're meant to hear it, you will, Jian. I love it.
0: Uh I I think it's brilliant. I think your your outlook is absolutely brilliant. I really do. And 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 probably the the, the healthiest of, of most people that I know um do you do you you, you've mentioned that i i I know i can't keep you forever and i am thank you (laughs) so thankful for the time that you've given us you've mentioned that you've returned to iran and like to visit do you do you wish to return to iran to live at some point
7: (laughs) oh if if beladi if if i could have what you know oh man you you ask me you know in iran sometimes you get these people who've managed to make these amazing baths for themselves gardens so depending on which area of iran you're living in they will have the best fruits nuts and so forth one day my dream would be to land in such a place and uh, live in my country yes oh what a dream can you imagine walnut trees oh my god i love walnut trees my own chickens and eggs so, yes, actually, Gian. And presumably, to...
0: presumably you'd, you would require a, a change of uh, government or regime for you to do that?
7: No, not at all, Gian, because a lot of Iranians I know, when you live out in nature and in those kind of situations, and if you're in Iran, Gian, if you don't bother them politically, they don't bother you, mate. Simple as that.
0: So, but, so then what's stopping you? Go, go. Uh, What's
7: stopping me? I'm married to a Western person. I live here. My siblings, who I'm very close to, are here. The things I do is here. So I've got a East Africa Iran uh, thing. I'm I've been developing recently where um, we are. Invi- I've been made an associate at the Zoas for the Center for Middle East Studies. So I've been curating events again, things that interest me. And recently, I've got into East Africa Iran. Jian I get much more done this part side of the world than I would in Iran. Wow. And my life is on this side of the world, realistically. But in retirement, if you said where in the last 10 years of your life you want to live between 70 and 80, because I can't imagine living beyond 80, almost impossible. I would say, yes, my beautiful garden in Iran somewhere. Someone lets me rent the house and buy their orchards in there. Oh, ma- you don't know, ma- maybe,
0: maybe you could bring the Western person with you.
7: Yes, yes, the poor man. The, we, unnamed,
0: just, the unnamed Western person that you married. Yeah, you could.
7: <laughs> Alex, you could. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, oh. we'll see what life brings, Gian. You know, I, 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 the, now with this COVID business, let us see what 2022 brings because I think we're going to wake up to a slightly different world order and things will shift a bit. So we should all be prepared because, you know, it's the age of Aquarius as well, Gian. I don't know if you believe in that stuff.
0: It is the but, dawning. I, I believe it's the dawning of the Age of Aquarius.
7: Yes, yes, yes. And and <laughs> it's funny, I had an astronomer here about two months before COVID kicked off. Very, very good astronomer. And he used to be actually Neil, he used to be the thing of NME, a new Music Express magazine, the editor, I think. Anyhow, so he, that's his sideline, he adored. And he was saying to me, Roy, big changes are coming for the whole world. And they've been saying it for ages, Sian. And it took an invisible bastard of a virus that you can't even see to uh, herald it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, to make yeah. everyone have to make all the changes that mean things change. You know what I mean?
0: Listen, I adore you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to meet Alex <laughs> I uh, I think you have a brilliant voice, and uh, and not just your singing voice. I am uh, so excited to, to to see where you take things next on the Royal Arab journey. We're going to play another collaboration of yours, but this is a live version of "I've Got You Under My Skin." This is something that you've just shared with us. Tell us tell us a bit about it, and and, and we'll play it uh, going out later.
7: Sure. Um- Basically, as I said, I started really taking back my music for myself. And afterwards, starting to work with some Iranian stuff, I just I've been exploring, playing with East, Meast, West, in terms of aesthetic, in terms of lyrics, in terms of translation, the lot. So I was Huya had left, and we had to come, and I, we had, we were one song short. And I just came up with these notes, and I thought, Oh my God, I've got you under my skin. And then Puya came round and I said, Man, please bring out your sitar. And he was so funny because he's like, What am I gonna play with this? I was like, whatever you did, man. And then he's playing. And then I don't I don't know about Iranian music like he does. But you know, in Iranian music we've got Dastgar and Gouche, the different sort of um setups. It's a bit like the ruggers of the Indian music. And he starts playing, and at one point he got tearful. He goes, Ruya, oh, yeah, man, this is so and so. Uh, he was a bit so. Basically, it has a very special meaning to both of us because for me it was the first time I tried such a thing, and uh, hopefully you enjoy it.
0: This is Puya Mahmoudi. Yeah,
7: absolutely. He's a wonderful multiple instrumentalist and a great musician when it comes to awareness of the different uh, regional musics of Iran, which is something that's lesser known and lesses. No, they've got good with it recently. But really important, really important, because we we concentrate too much on the Qajar era. They sort of uh, came up with this, uh, they they classified music, and they left out the regional music. So it's a really important part of the identity of Iranian music.
0: Roya Arab, Roya John, Roya June, thank you so much. (laughs) for the time thank you for the insights thank you for sharing the art um, it's it's been such a great interview I hope you will share it on all of your social media platforms and,
7: <laughs> of which I have none <laughs> I, but you know what mate just if you put it out on your Instagram just hashtag Roya Arab in yeah. the house yeah, in, yeah. in the house no bro. one
0: needs to hear it we'll Suppose just keep it for you already and a hashtag. <laughs> I'm going to send it to you you can send it back to me we can uh, we in fact I can I'll send it to you in an envelope and I'll i'll post it (laughs) um it's a pleasure i hope we speak again soon i hope i see you when the pandemic is over thank you for this and take care of yourself
7: thank you and all the best to your team (laughs) that's
0: roya arab the musician lyricist archaeologist curator of cultural events with a focus on iran roya joined us from london england today (laughs)
8: You are I'm in my
0: version of i've got you under my skin with some farsi uh lyrics thrown in there that's roya arab on piano and vocals puya mahmoudi on setar oh, what a joy that was i suspected that was going to be a fun conversation and uh it, it she didn't disappoint captain reza uh, the fabulous key on Shaya back with us here gentlemen
1: she is candid isn't she like she's not afraid of expressing her opinions the only thing that i didn't quite agree with her was not being on social media you want her to be on social media I know I feel like Roy Roy (laughs) Arab on social media would be a lot of fun I know like I would actually follow because I feel like she would be very candid open and rook and her opinions are interesting although I I, I,
0: I so respect anyone who stays away from social media to be honest but uh uh, Keon? I,
2: a, I adore you. Really, you really like her. I adore you actually her. fell
0: in love with her for when she was on our Pink Floyd oh, episode, I, right? I
2: just love everything about her. Her vibe, the way she speaks, the mm-hmm. way she thinks, the fa- like everything she does. She's an archaeologist. She's a singer. You know, the first thing that I wanted to do when I was a kid was be an archaeologist. Really, but yeah, my really? parents were like, "Oh, you won't make any money." Like I, I think I was like eight. They're like, "Oh, it's not realistic. You won't make any money. You're going to be in your in our backyard being an archaeologist. So <laughs> the fact that she's an archaeologist alone is. But listen, to you me. didn't
0: do that, and look what you've become come yes, oh, yes.
2: Maybe. archaeologist would have been <laughs> I'll, I'll go cry in the corner now <laughs> but no I just I adore her I adore that woman she's fabulous
0: you know uh, the fabulous Keon. it is Monday it is the end of the program that can only mean one thing it's time for letters of the week
2: uh, yeah. Is there ever a time that Reza doesn't say that <laughs>
0: yeah. No. He's been going to a lot of parties despite the fact that it's COVID. I've seen one looking at his Instagram and he's like
2: so you dressed him, up though. in glittery shirts at parties. Boy. Open ch- chested shirts.
0: You joke, I mean, I don't know. You know yeah.
2: So, last week on episode episode episode, <laughs> episode, <laughs> episode 82, we had the massively talented Iranian composer, arranger, and multi-instrumentalist Reza Tajbakhsh on the show. He's one of the most prolific and well-known popular musicians working in Iran today. Mm-hmm. So, on Instagram, we have Bobak Amini himself oh. writing in, saying, One of my favorite artists, friends, and musical soulmates. Nice. Wow, what a compliment.
0: That makes a a lot of sense, actually. I could see those two guys getting along. That makes sense. Although, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then we have Sadaf Dargahi wrote, I didn't know Reza Taj and and I'm so happy to have gotten to know him from this episode. And thank you to Reza for pointing out about that people were used to going to as concerts before COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing.
0: We should translate that. Yeah.
1: Uh, who, who wants to go Reza, Shire? go ahead. My Reza? Well, Whoever gets into a dispute with his mom or now. Going to concerts, yeah. Any but what si- does it actually no, mean? No, I mean, it, but that's but the. The best translation literal would be any sissy boy would be. Uh, <laughs> is a, It tries to be a singer right now.
2: Uh, uh, that's, that's not even good. So, so, uh, uh, not so, what Reza was saying on the episode was that before COVID, there would be nonsense singers having big concerts, and they had so much support behind their back that people would just go to these concerts because they, they were. But somehow
0: being locked down has created the conditions, in his opinion, where people are seeking out more interesting and creative art mm. and music. So yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, nice. Yeah, and then we have Bahare Panahi wrote, great interview. Good job, Razataj Bach. He's very talented. Also, the It's All Persian to Us segment is one of my favorite parts. Yes. Great job, Kion.
0: Great job, Kion.
2: Thank you, Bahare. And then we have Sasan Imam. Oh. Sasan Imam, who
0: is now a rock star patron.
2: Yes, oh. we're very grateful, Sasan. Did he
0: actually write this yes, letter? He's <laughs> ha- he ha- he's a busy guy. He's becoming a patron. He's writing letters.
2: Wow. Yeah, so we, he lo- we love you,
0: Sasan. Thanks Two for shout this. Shout out.
2: Thank you. He wrote in saying, thank you, Gian and Rook team for this lovely interview. For me personally, it brought back some nice memories. I used to go to Reza's house with my cousin, Cami, who was and is a fr- family friend. I think Reza was in his late teens at the time even at that young age his piano playing would make your jaw drop and this is coming from from someone who can't be pleased that easily i used to bring my own cassettes to his house play a different organ piece from a classic rock band that i liked he'd listen to it and play it back spontaneously amazing amazing talent that is pretty impressive
0: wow thank you Sasan. that's some uh direct connection to you Reza Tajbah and nice encouraging
1: take. words for someone who can be pleased easily he's now a rock star patron that's right that means a lot that's right
2: and then it's time for letter of the week God! <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> so, hey no it's what? been a long show <laughs> it has been you know <laughs> yeah.
0: you get to sit there well, you know I mean I'm, I'm doing these interviews <laughs> but I've uh, very much enjoyed this show and so <laughs> I'm uh, curious what you've got for our letter of the week. Yes,
2: yeah, So not too long ago, I gave the honor of letter of the century to a Farhud SM. And this man has done it again. He's written Letter to of the us. century.
0: Did we give that? You something,
2: gave that? I think you gave the title letter. Oh, of the Oh, it was a really good letter. <laughs> it was a really good letter. Right. Yeah. He's done it again. I, right. this guy, man. I, I try to spread it out and give it to different people, but he's done it again. So okay. Farhud SM wrote to us saying, Well, I Farhud. farhud. Not Farhud. Yes, Farhud. Farhud.
0: Darim, farhud. Yes, yes, yes. Oh.
2: And you, I'm pretty I'd sure you said that, that exact same thing last time, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Farhud. <I>
0: <laughs> Sorry, Farhud. Farhud Jun. I, I, I will remember you better. T- that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I gave him the letter of the century. I can't even remember exactly. the Farhud wrote in.
2: Shame on you. Oh, shame well, God on me. his name twice.
0: <laughs> I will never forget your name. Dear Farhoud,
2: uh, Whoa, maybe yeah.
0: if you were a patron, I'd remember it better. I've been through the list.
2: <laughs> so dear Farhoud wrote yes. us saying, well, I thought I'd leave on a high note with my previous award-winning letter of the century, but it looks like I need to save fabulous Kion's segment. Yes, thank you for that, Farhoud. Here are my thoughts, spoken with Zabun in Lop to be taken with a grain of namak. <laughs> Zabun in lope means uh, tongue-in-cheek, and right. namak is grain like grain of salt. salt. Yeah. Yeah. One, I need more Captain Reza, like Walkin needs oh. Cowbell. Oh. <laughs> Captain Reza fan. Two, the fact that we don't know the origin of the expressions is criminal. I'm calling you out, Mona, from <laughs> Melbourne. Three, avoiding an interview with Shohre Aghdashloo is also criminal. Ooh, okay. Yeah, take note, Jean. All right i not avoiding <laughs> an interview <with> her. We <laughs> haven't He's had the chance to invite her on guesses. the show yet. It's like,
0: it's like She's not like she's calling regularly. and Let's try and avoid her.
2: <laughs> yeah. Four, Chef Haas, my cheesecake sucked, and I'm sad now. <laughs> I think it was that goat cheese cheesecake. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and I wasn't sure about that either. Uh, can we get a Persian-style cheesecake recipe and a referral to a good therapist? <laughs> well, the good therapist, I don't know. Maybe Reza can help out with that, but the cheesecake <laughs> we'll get from, uh, from Chef Haas. Five, Trump is out. How do you like them oranges, Keon? Well, yeah. I, well, I like my oranges orange, <laughs> plump, and juicy. So that's oh, to answer okay. your question. Right. Six, Jian, you commented on how it took me weeks to compose my last letter, the award winning letter of the century. I'll have you know it took three hours, two breaks, and one short. Short <laughs> meaning nap.
3: <laughs> nice.
2: Seven, I bought that Roby, Roy B robot for my nephew for Christmas. I walked in on Christmas like Christ and watched him open the box. He started crying like I'd never heard him cry before. (laughs) Turns out he's terrified of robots. (laughs) Thank God for box wine. (laughs) And Roy B. Robot is, uh, who was, Elnaz Sarafi? Sarafi, yes, yes, she was a guest of ours who who, who created invented
0: this Roy B. Robot, Yes,
2: it goes on. He says, the show gets better and better, but to be Rook, I'm sometimes more interested hearing your banter than the guest stories. I hope you'll consider opening up the podcast to amongst yourselves. Mm. To talking, to
0: amongst, talking yourself. amongst yourself. Well, we—that that is what we are, <laughs> seem to be doing. That, that okay. Listen, that this guy—he should write for the show. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. Fat Hood? By the way, is Fat Hood? Do we have Fat Hood, or is it—is it is a Fat Hood? Fat Hood name. Now that is uh, That's quite a letter I, I, I am I, He's this done guy, it again He's done it again I don't know <laughs> fan I have a fan now I'm happy
4: he, he doesn't have anything To say about me
8: Oh, hey. <laughs> oh <okay. Shia>. <laughs> Yeah It's a list of so about 100 I, I items should, and he didn't I should mention. take that back Shaya you shouldn't
1: worry <laughs> no. You know why because
0: this too shall, shall pass. pass. Yeah, these two shall pass. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Shaya? Yes, what? <laughs> 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 <That's> <laughs> That's true. Uh, and the arus can't dance because the floor is <laughs> catch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting them all mixed up. It's been a long show. Listen, Fadhud SM, you, uh, thank you for your excellent letter. The fabulous Kion, thank you for uh, uh well
2: reading it. <laughs>
0: what am I thanking you for? I have no uh, idea. You know, you're basically
2: <laughs> just here. <laughs> but just existing, being born, all very usable.
0: Absolutely. Operations. Absolutely for being born, first of all. Uh and uh you are fabulous. You are the best. You are you're you're the glue that holds this shoddy operation together when we get to the letters segments. Um, Reza, Captain Reza, you are uh, not a captain, but uh, <laughs> thank you for all of your hard work. And Shia, I'm sorry you don't get mentioned in these letters. <laughs> you have gone from the superstar of the show to basically forgotten. <laughs> yeah. It seems. Oh, I think we
4: don't have Farhud. It's Farhad. Farhudari,
0: <laughs> 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 um, No, I thought maybe that somebody had written it wrong. You know, because I, I I got or my, my. somebody's
1: right. Re- uh,
2: that's his reading. name. Don't oh, blame no the Samiraza. Don't <laughs> you dare blame hey, the. Psalm. Whatever
1: as dusresat is kaj. That's right.
0: That's right. We're mixing up all the proverbs. Thank you, if you've stuck with us this long. Uh, thank you to the the whole team here. Seriously, guys, thank you. Thanks. This is full time for Rook for today. Uh, we joke about it, but we have our patrons pages now set up at rookmedia.com And you, we invite you to become our friends, our BFFs, our idols, our rock stars, our legends, and more. Uh, and, uh, help support Rook and be part of us. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Producer Susan Ponta, the artist, Thoughtful Nagin, the fabulous Keon, Savvy Roham, Aray Mehrdad, Master Muhammad, Chef Haas, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shia. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting and sharing our content. You can subscribe for free if you've not done so already at any of our platforms. And find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Hach as just resad nikust and on that note Mizum Bashi.